Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, this is the Ask the Industry podcast, the podcast where I, Simon Kane get someone in from the comedy industry and I asked them the questions that you the listener has submitted um, this is our first episode and I'd like to thank everyone that submitted a question uh, the guest this month is Heels Jager who is the founding person for the Amused Moose uh, the comedy clubs as well as the competition she's been a producer director agent and everything in between really um, she knows pretty much everyone and has been around comedy for pretty much her entire life she was so lovely with her time and generous she was originally just gave us an hour but she stayed around for about two and a half which has uh, made editing this quite a quite a hefty job but um, I've I, I got to answer every question that was submitted uh, they ranged from uh, talking about her, her how she got into her career and uh, what that kind of background was for her and how she's seen the comedy industry progress and change as well as little questions like how to get a spot with her how to get noticed and um everything in between really um i don't want to say too much because you're going to hear it all in the interview um, if you want to have the full list of questions if you go to the ask the industry uh podcast website which will be um it's currently a tumblr which is asktheindustrypodcast.tumblr.com. I'm just trying to set up a website for that at the moment. Uh, I'd rather sort of start with the podcast and then work on the website later. That's kind of the secondary thing, really. Uh, Tumblr can do a really good job at hosting. And, uh, yeah, you, you can see everything that I asked. Uh, it isn't in order, unfortunately, because what we had was quite a, a fluid conversation, which meant that we didn't really cover it in any specific order and I don't really want to change the questions around and, and go through them all like that so um, it's, de it's definitely worth a listen if you I think if you're someone who is interested in comedy or if you are someone who is in comedy maybe at the early stages of your career and you haven't maybe gigged for her before or you haven't done her competition before it's definitely worth listening to and learning a little bit more about how she operates um, I know I'm going to carry on even though I've got some guy hooting outside and it's probably picking that up. Um, I know I learned quite a lot and uh, I really enjoyed being able to, to talk to her quite frankly about how she picks people up or how her uh, mind works when it comes to booking people and, and scheduling in her clubs. 
and yeah, I'm not going to say any more. So uh, without further ado, here is our interview. Wobbly watches. Wobbly watches. Well, they're, I mean, they're vibrating watches and you can buy them from people like H. Samuel and I think Argos. Mm. But um, they're generally called wobbly watches because it's just that's what comedians would say, wouldn't they? Um, <laughs> but I think they're important. Um, if I was a comic and I knew I had an, a certain amount of time on stage and I looked at my ordinary watch, I'd spend all my time focusing on how long that was and trying to remember when it started and therefore calculating when that time was finishing rather than focusing on the gags or the room or whatever. I think it's a distraction. So I would definitely say something like a wobbly watch is good because not only does it mean it frees you up to think about what you're actually doing, but also when you move off the open spot circuit or to or you get a gig even on the open spot circuit where there's a big audience and it's and it's going really well. When it starts going well, you start doing a bit more improvisation. It takes longer for the audience to respond for you to be able to start again because you're getting clapping and laughter and that extends your set so if you've got five or six gags that you know fit in the time you're going to need to do actually you aren't going to get through them all so mm. a wobbly watch going off at whatever time you want it to maybe a minute before you're due to come off stage or if you're doing 20s probably your last gag is going to be at least two minutes or 90 seconds and you need to get to it before you can do it because no one wants a comedian that overruns then a wobbly watch is definitely the way to go and if you don't wear a watch some people don't you can get from the rnib i think it is ones you put in your pocket and it just vibrates in your pocket so then you just bang bang your pocket and it switches itself off or it switches off after a certain length of time but i just think they're really really useful aid and all sorts of people have been wearing them. I don't, obviously when you start becoming a touring comedian, you don't need to worry. But when you're doing gigs that have to finish at a specific time, even if you're in Edinburgh and you're doing an hour show, I mean, it's really important because in it's certainly in a paid venues, and I don't know about on Free Fringe, but in a paid venue, you only warned once if you overrun. And then after that time, if they, they fine you 10 pounds a minute. Seriously? Yep. Wow. And in 2001, um, uh, Russell Brand, who was doing a show with Mark Felgate and Shappy Corsandi, he overran every day and he ended up owing £6,000, which I assume he eventually paid. I have no idea. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, but that's why the fringe works because everyone runs to time. Mm. And the only way you can do that is A, saying, well, this is our expectation. But B, then if people don't take a notice, just fine them. Mm. But with in that particular case in 2001 with Russell, he didn't. <laughs> He didn't. <laughs> he knew the rule, though. <laughs> he, he just, well, the part of the problem was he had his head in a bag. He was pretending to be the elephant man. So even if he had a watch on, which I'm sure he didn't, but even if he had, he wouldn't have been able to see it. So, but, you know, and, you know, wouldn't have been the sort of person to have a wobbly watch anyway, Russell. No. No. But we always red light people, whether they ask us to or not. We always say, we'll red light you at two minutes to go. Mm. Just in case they've misset their watch or, you know, it just, it's, for, for it's a peace of mind thing for us mm. because we simply can't have people people overstaying their time because well all the nights that we run quite often the other comics are having to go off to other gigs and it's really fine timing because sometimes not so much now but up until fairly recently people were doing five gigs a night which mm. means they know how long it takes to get from one venue to another and they expect they have to have be off stage by you know five minutes of coming off stage sometimes you actually have to be standing there holding their money and they come off stage grab it sign for it and they're out they barely stop it's like going through a a ticket barrier at the underground when you know what you're doing they, do, they just keep moving as they go because they've got to be somewhere else in 10 minutes and be on stage there in 10 minutes mm. so that's why it's really important to run to time because it just and it also you know if you're doing an open spot night and you overrun and there's 12 or 15 people on 
and you've got a couple of names coming in at the end to try out new material or even if you haven't it means that people at the end of the evening may not be able to perform and they've waited yeah. all evening so you're not going to be anyone's mate if you're the one that's created the problem <laughs> no not at all so yeah so. Well, two, two questions come out of that one does that mean you are less likely to rebook someone that overruns oh I wouldn't book anyone who overruns okay and I, I mean yeah. that's it's a cardinal sin no one will book anybody no, especially now with, with there being so many less gigs around right I mean, why, why would I, I... I don't book anyone I wouldn't have in my own home. That's one of my rules. So when okay. people come in and say to me, oh, I don't want to sit at the front, I go, you're absolutely fine. I don't book anyone I wouldn't have in my own house. And they look at me and go, well, that's probably all right then. And they okay. will sit at the front because we always give them nicer seats and a table and everything like that. So they go... And we go, sit over at the side, you'll be out of the sight line over there, which they usually mm -hmm. are. And once you get people sitting there, then you can fill the other, other yeah. seats up and then obviously people go in behind them. Yeah. Yeah, I know that firsthand. I did your course and you gave us uh, free tickets to some of your shows. Mm. And I remember turning up with the group and you just immediately went, oh, just go, just go front row, just go right there. And, <laughs> and, and we were like, oh, but we, we don't want to. And they went, no, no, it's absolutely fine. Just go over there. And, and it was fine, yeah. obviously. But yeah. it, was, it was just a bit of a surreal one because I, I, I think it was my, one of my first proper comedy nights I'd been to. Like I'd done, I'd been to comedy things, but not like a kind of, like your kind of, you know, nightclub style, mm. you know, that kind Pro of thing. Proper, yeah. yeah. Top, top end comedy. Exactly, yeah. Top end circuit, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it was just quite surreal and I kind of thought to myself, also I'm, I'm quite a distinct laugher, so I don't like being in the front just because if I'm not laughing, it's very obvious. Mm. Uh, but I'm sure, I'm sure. But, uh, you know, if you're, if you're someone who's conspicuous, even if you're in the front, you can usually go slightly to one side or the other or, you know, I mean, if, if the compare is really nice, if it's a nice person, you think they're going to be nice, you can always go and have a word and say, I've got this really silly laugh, please don't make a fool of me. And <laughs> invariably, that person is going to go, why would I do that anyway? Yeah. You know, most of them are sweetest. Why, why, they don't want to, you know, pick on somebody that's where it's not going to work. No. Because that person might say, I asked you not to do that. Yeah. So that just brings all the atmosphere down. Yeah. So, you know, a, a good compare um, would be fine. And, and acts don't usually pick on somebody. That, mm. that they, you know, professional comics, why would they do that? They want to get their best material out. Of course. So, and, you know, there are obviously people that spend their entire 20 minutes, 30 minutes, Patrick Monaghan, for example, who will spend all his time bantering, but then he does it in such a good-natured way mm. that there's not a problem. He's never going to humiliate anybody. He's just going to cuddle them a lot. Yeah, that's Pat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. I've seen, I've seen him a couple of times. He does it? run to time for me, I have to say. I, I've been told he sometimes doesn't, so it's good. Oh, to usually a... he doesn't. No, <laughs> invariably he doesn't, but he does for me because he knows he has to. So that's fine. So he can. He can. And he's done it for me in Edinburgh when we've had like five or six people and a compare in an hour. Mm. And, he's, and he's managed to do his seven or eight minutes. I've said to him, you seven minutes. And he goes, fine. And he'll do it. Okay. And you get seven minutes of material out of him. He does hug a few people as well. But mm. so, you know, half of that is material, which is nice. It's nice. I, I suppose seven minutes of just cuddling people would be a bit weird. <laughs> Depends on how you do it. <laughs> well, yes. But sure you can only do it to the people in the front. The people at the back are probably going, what's going on? <laughs> Quite glad I sat here. Uh, yeah, no, uh, yeah, he's he's very good though. Uh, the hugging stuff. Cause yes. I I couldn't I couldn't do that. No. Um, well, this is just it's in his nature. He's always cuddly. Yeah. He'll rush across the street and cuddle you. Yeah, yeah. You know, so yeah, it's just how Pat is. Yeah. Um, I was going to also ask a sort of sort of site B to that. Mm. I assume uh, at, at a pro level, you don't get penalised for overrunning like you do in Edinburgh. So you wouldn't sort of cut back on someone's pay if they like. Not, you wouldn't cut back on them, but you but you wouldn't book them back. Okay. I mean, that's that's the bottom line. And, you know, let's face it, if you want to do the better paid gigs yeah. with the reputation that will get you into other gigs mm. and that helps build your status, yeah. then you're not going to want to upset anybody. Certainly the comedy store is absolutely to time yeah. because they've got two shows 
on a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, well, Friday, Saturday, but they work to time and they've got to clear clear everything out. They've got to get all the glasses up. They've got to sweep the floor, pick up all the chips that have been dropped mm. and make the place pristine for the next lot of people to come in. They want them in as soon as possible because it's bar sales. Mm. What everyone's got doesn't seem, a lot of people don't seem to realise is that most venues, actually the ticket money goes to the acts mm. and the profit is the bar. Right. Um, therefore, you need to get as many, uh, you need people, as many people as possible at the bar for as long as possible. So if someone overruns in the first show, whatever place it is, or the place is going to shut at 11, which is a normal pub situation, they don't want a show that should finish at quarter past 11, fits quarter past 10, finishing at 25 to 11, because they're only going to get one drink out of people. Mm. Whereas if they finish at the time that the person who's running the gig has agreed, which is 10.15, then they're going to get two probably drinks out of people, maybe even a third, because once people have had a couple of drinks in them, yeah. they have another, don't they? That's kind of how it works. So, yeah. That's, it. that's interesting because uh, as, as someone who still does some open mic nights as well, I mean, I, I get the old club bit, mm. but I mainly do those at the moment. I know the feeling of people who are coming up through is we don't necessarily want people completely off their face mm. for the set. Mm. I mean, we, I, we'd love it if they had the old drink and, you know, you were a bit jolly and a bit loose. You're talking about the stuff. audience. Yeah, the audience. Yeah, well, normally that's that's the thing. You try and, you try and get the show as early as you can and keep the intervals as short as you can maybe two intervals but keep them short and get people back in their seats as quickly as possible and have the extra time at the end some of them clearly will go home mm. but there will be a should be a significant group if you've finished early enough who will stay and if you encourage them to stay and if the pub will actually let that bar stay open so because it once you if you have to move them out of the room to another bar the chances are they'll keep walking right and the number of publicans i have to say this to you think surely you know your business but seemingly they don't or maybe it's not the manager that's there it's someone else and actually the the, the person who's there isn't being paid commission so they just really want as many people out of the pub as quickly as possible <laughs> whereas the manager of course is wanting maximum income to come mm. through it's a different person but quite often the managers aren't there sometimes because they're looking after more than one pub which is weird yeah. these days yeah okay that's so, interesting yeah okay so you, you've got to think about the business end of it all mm. i mean from as a as a comedian you need it is show business Mm. And you have to be aware of the business end and why people would want to book you, mm. what you have to offer, what's special about you, all those kind of things. Yeah. And also to be always amiable. I mean, I can bump into someone like Sean Luck in the street and he'll go, hi, Hills. Mm. And I haven't had a conversation with Sean for 10 years, mm. but he'll still go, oh, hi, how are you? And then you have a five or 10 minutes natter. Um, and that's, you know, because he's a nice guy and, you know, it's the other thing, of course, and I'm not saying this about Sean, because obviously he's doing really well, but it's also the more, f the friendlier and more amiable you are on the way up, the more, you know, when level, you know, life plateaus or maybe things go down for a little while, you've still got friends. Yeah. And friends, when things aren't going terribly well in comedy or in any entertainment business are really useful because if they know things aren't going well, then they might put you into them on their telly shows you might suddenly find your cameo in something and then something comes from that yeah you know um because a lot of people if you look these television shows they have sitcoms and things the people that they are the walk on parts and things and these are quite often their mates yeah you go oh right i know he knows him he used to flat share with him or he shared a flat in edinburgh with him three years ago yeah and they're, they're mates yeah that's where it works yeah, it's it's. Uh, I find the more I gig and the more or the more things I say yes to. I think it was Logan when I did your course said, uh, "Don't say no to anything. Mm. Say yes to everything because you know you don't know what will come from it." Mm. And and I'm finding uh, uh, the level I'm at, 
everything leads to something else. Mm. Whether it's like, you know, you're at the gig and there's a promoter in the audience and mm. they like you and they'll book you. Or if it's six months down the line, someone mm. starts a gig and they saw you six months mm. ago and then they go, we'd love to have you down because we loved what you did that time or whatever. Yeah. It's not everyone. Obviously, not everyone's mm. sitting there going, oh, we'd love to give that person an opportunity. Yeah. But it's, it's just, yeah, it's just interesting that, um, I don't know, yeah, pe- people sometimes don't... I find, particularly this is why I wanted to do this, is that the people I am gigging with don't think of the business side of it very much. They think, like, they think sort of show, business, they're separate things. Mm. They do the show bit, business bit's there. They don't really need to focus on it. And to a certain extent, that's true because promoters do that bit more than, like, do mm. the majority of that bit. Well, that's what them. they seem to be doing. Yeah. But I, w- I would say, even on open spot nights, um, that you will have maybe, how many? 20% of the people in the audience are going to be in some way associated with business work work opportunities for you the thing is you know if someone doesn't come up and talk to you at the end of a gig doesn't mean to say they haven't written your name down and gone when we you know they'll they'll make if they're cast because you get cast those are casting agents and people come in and they're looking for people for adverts you know uh, you know if you look at someone like eric lampard who looks Mm. quite distinctive bet your bottom dollar he's in loads of casting agents or casting directors notebooks and now of course he's done them they'll go oh yes because they all know who who it was but when mm. no one knew him, you can bet loads of people thought, when I need someone who looks like that. And these days, of course, they can take a little picture. Yeah. They, get, they doesn't need to flash, you know, they can just take a picture from the back of the room, write the person's name down, mm. and then they can get in touch when they need them. They don't even need to have a conversation with you anymore. Because, mm. I mean, when I started booking, I had to get people's, oh, well, the phone numbers, it was phone numbers, and often they were landlines. I mean, I remember booking Harry Hill on the landline. <laughs> so, you know... Um, Things have moved on, but you don't need. To, you could, there's always ways of finding people these days. Once they get beyond a certain level, not when they're baby comics, because you know baby comics haven't yet got their website up or whatever. Or mm. and a lot of them are. No, one of the things that someone was complaining about yesterday, um, I was talking to her in Soho Theatre, was she 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 does lots of bookings and finding things out. She's a bit of a talent scout for various people, and she said one thing that drives her insane is not having when people don't put an email address on their website, their own email address. They they sometimes will put a. Form where you have to fill it in yeah and she said she doesn't want that what she wants is to be able to hit the, the email address and go can you give me a call so and so and so I, I want to speak to you about x yeah and just sign off and not go oh i could put my name i've got my what am i who am i what's my inquiry she said there's nothing more um stultifying really because mm. you know you, you, we're all on we're all on the run all the time yeah you know, you know people think oh they're only running a whiz gig or they're only doing that no no we're doing 101 million things yeah and we've got our own lives as well same as you lot all have so we're, we're always you know we want to do things as quickly as possible i mean i'm frustrated at the moment so i'm trying to book a, an extra person for new year's eve because romish ranganathan's had to drop out so I've, i i'm trying to book someone else who i won't mention to replace him and she thinks she's available she thought last monday she was available i'm still trying and she's doubling up i know that but I'm still trying to get her agent, who is the one I've got to deal with, to confirm that she's available to come and do mine at that time. And I'm just saying, where's the other gig? What's he on stage time? You tell me that. Mm. I can tell you whether it's a doable double or not. And this girl, this this person can actually... I've, I've offered them three stay on stage times. So unless the other gig is sort of clapping or something, because getting across the river is difficult on New Year's Eve, as you probably mm. know. Um, you're never really sure if you're going to manage to make it. But as long as it's north of the river, that'll be fine. Anyway... So just saying it's, you know, uh, and that's another thing is don't assume because you've got an agent or that getting an agent will solve your problems. It invariably might make things worse, particularly at the bottom end, because they you are very you are the lowest of the low in their priorities. You have to be because getting you work, you know, let's say you're earning 300 pounds a week, which will be nice. 
as a, as a newbie comic. But they're, if they're taking 10, let's say they're taking 15%, it's 45 quid. How much time of theirs can you buy for that? By the time you've rung them up and said, is there anything coming into the diary this week? Did you manage to speak to, you know, Bill Dare at the BBC about that project and did and what, what's happened with this? By the time you've had that conversation and they tell you, and they've had that conversation with Bill Dare, that 45, that 45 pounds worth's well gone. Mm. You know, so you, you have to actually work harder yeah. to get more work in be willing to give them 15% of the work you get for yourself in order to buy enough time of their time because obviously they've got their costs as well it's not just their wages it's the office it's everything else that goes with it to make it happen and they also need things like a website with decent pictures on it they need clips youtube clips and things like that that have been filmed reasonably well which is easy these days i mean there's no excuse for a really bad bit of something and badly edited it's really easy to do mm. without all of that you know, the agent's not got anything to sell you with. It's really hard. Yeah. And I would always say, say to the agent, I'll carry on doing the gigs that I book, that people know me. Can you please get me into these gigs? Or can you please get my scripts read by XYZ? I really admire that producer, that producer, that producer. Mm. Can you please, or can you send these all over to Baby Cow for Henry Normal to look at or Steve Coogan or whoever? You know, you've got to do an awful lot of researching yourself. You've got to, it's like going to work. You've got to get up oh, yeah. and get online and find out who the people are that you need to get yourself in front of. Yeah, no, it fascinates me. I mean, like, because I've had a few meetings with different agents and uh, I, remember, I remember one of them said to me, um, can you describe your act? And I just said, I tell jokes. And they went, is that it? And it was like a weird, hmm. I thought that was, <laughs> I thought that was what you wanted. And they were like, no, we need to, we need to sell you. What, how would you describe your act? How hmm. can I take you forward? What would you say your act is? Yes. So that, and, and but was, that, but that should be on your, that should be on your website, shouldn't it? About you, what sort of comic you are, your little quotes, even if they're nondescript quotes from some weird, I don't know, website up in Edinburgh, it doesn't really matter. As long as you, you should always attribute them, of course, even if it's mm. something that no one knows, because at least then it has some legitimacy. And then you replace those. But the, I mean, the number of websites that I go onto when I'm looking around for, you know, I'm trying to get in touch with someone or I'm trying to get some quotes to put somewhere. Mm. The number of websites that are out of date, their Wikipedia is out of date, um, their gig list is out of date. So, I mean, I'll go on to say, oh, I wonder if I can book so-and-so. That would, they, that would fit, because I program. Mm. I don't just book comics, I program. So I'm thinking, who, how, how could, that's what I've had to do for New Year's Eve. Who would be good? Who's in town? How would that work? And I'm not saying in this particular case, but I would sometimes go on and go, oh, well, I think they're available. And then I'll get in touch and they go, oh, no, I'm, I'm, in, Le I'm in Leicester. And you go, well, it doesn't say that on your website. Oh, no, I haven't got around to it. I'm sorry. You must have, at every gig, you must have some downtime. Mm. And virtually everywhere you're gigging will have Wi-Fi. Yeah. Just go and get online on your phone. I mean, you don't have to carry a, an iPad pad round with you or whatever you can do it all on your phone just update your gig list for heaven's sake how bad i mean also if i was to book someone and my gig wasn't on their gig list when i went to check which i'm i don't usually do but let's say i did i'd go oh does that mean he's forgotten about it why isn't it on there and i also expect people to tweet and facebook and things these days yeah. i mean i'm not convinced that any of this works <laughs> we've had this conversation before simon but i'm not convinced it works i think it's completely overloaded um, and but I, I do expect them to do it, mm. uh, and I think it. I think it inevitably will draw people into the gig, and it will draw people to you as a performer because stuff just it's going round. It's out there in the ether. Mm. You know, you if you aren't going to tell anybody anything, 
Mm. I mean, the other thing is, you know what gig you're doing. So that on, earlier that day, you you know you 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 tweet naming that club. Yeah. You find out what the handle is or whatever the expression might be that relates to whatever it is you're doing. I don't know what they do on LinkedIn because I haven't quite got there yet. Oh, it's becoming a lot better. It really annoyed me when it started. Um, but, you know, you need to know whatever stri- whatever phrasing is required and just do it because... Yeah. And then you can put it on Facebook. But you can do it yeah. any one place and, and put your link on it if you want to. The one thing I would say with anything on YouTube is to make sure that what's up there is current. Mm-hmm. Um, take down stuff you don't want to be seen and make sure that it isn't full of turgid stuff, that it just goes bang. And if you can make the gag funny and not show the punchline so that they're anticipating what the punchline will be, if you're good enough to actually make the build-up exciting and then you go, oh, you have to come and see me to find out what's happening. Okay, that's interesting. Just a thought. I mean, because you, you, can, you can put little captions on it, can't you? Yeah, yeah. And the other thing I would say... Um, I don't use YouTube myself because we always upload our stuff on Vimeo, but you can password protect stuff on, on Vimeo. Mm-hmm. And therefore, if you want to send stuff people around the world, you know, you want to do the Adelaide Festival and wherever else, because a lot of people do that, because in a way you can go to the other side of the world and really find your feet over there by doing a month here and, and a few weeks there and whatever and come back a, a much better comedian the same as when you do 25 nights up in edinburgh mm. so a lot of people do that but to get yourself booked in you've got to have some decent stuff online yeah so you need to make sure that the stuff online is there but you don't want your entire set being available to the world no so if you put it on vimeo and password protect it then you can send it to all the various bookers at all these places and they they can click in and look at it but I was the one thing, of course, is to make sure that the the first thirty seconds is really good, because yeah. a lot of people won't watch more than thirty seconds. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, I knew Jack Whitehall within ten seconds of walking on stage the first time I saw him when he entered Amuse Moose Laugh Off. I knew that he was going to be brilliant. I didn't. I mean, he, I could have said enough. You can finish now. But of course, I let him do his one and a half, two minutes. That's fine. And then his mum rang me in the week and said, Jack tells me he's doing this comedy stuff. What's <laughs> it about? And I went, It's fine. Don't worry. He's going to be rich and famous. He was 18. I said, you know, I knew nothing about them. I said, oh, and he'll, he'll be keeping you in a style to which you'd like to become accustomed, not knowing they own half of Putney or whatever. <laughs> and, you know, dad is already very successful and so on. But I had no idea. I mean, I didn't mm. know he'd been to Marlborough. I had no idea that what, yeah. what sort of person he was. All I just knew was he was going to be successful. Yeah, you, you could just tell. Yeah, you don't Google everyone on that. You can't. I mean, there's... Oh, I, no. Well, I mean, he's only under six gigs. Oh, OK. It was his sixth gig. Right. And I don't know where the other gigs have been. Well, that's... But his mum didn't even know he was doing it. He was just going out of an evening. Yeah. And just rocking up and doing a gig at his local open spot, presumably. Yeah, I mean, I when I started, I didn't tell my parents either. But mm. I, I, I had a lot of support on tap that I should have probably gone into. But it's kind of a weird one because you... Well, you want to find your feet first. I think doing, yeah. you know, doing half a dozen or a dozen gigs just to feel if, it, if it's something you want to do. Because some people think they're going to love it and they hate it from yeah. the off. Oh, yeah. I mean, other people find they can't bear all the travelling or whatever mm. it might be, or the antisocial nature of it. Mm. I don't mean, well, unsocial, not antisocial, yes. the unsocial hours and everything. Yes. Which is, I mean, women are more sociable, social animals than men, and there are less women to be pally with, because there are very often not two women on a bill. Right. I mean, I, I, I just book who I book, and if it's right. four women, it's four. I don't think I've ever booked four women, but I've had a one-man gig not so long ago it just worked out that way and I went oh that's interesting I should have spread them around a bit yeah. oh well never mind um and it was fine but uh yeah so I just think women find can find the the, the social side of comedy 
uh, quite difficult because you're either on your own or you're thrown in with lots of people. There's right. very little middle ground, which is why I think some people write with, have a writing partner. Right. Just so they, they've got a charm who understands and they sit down. They don't necessarily write with each other. They might be on two sides of a table, mm -hmm. but they'll, they'll just sort of say, do you think this works or what are you writing about today? And it's just someone chummy to sit down with. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 a friend of mine, uh, you, you know, Beck Hill. Mm -hmm. um, I know she works with Gav, who's her partner and stuff. And uh, obviously, they write amazing mm. stuff. I love what she does. Mm. But yeah, I mean, I can imagine that that's so useful mm. to bounce. I mean, I've been trying to find someone to write with for ages because mm. uh, I can sit and I mean, well, normally I write when I'm walking or on a train anyway because I find that mm. nice when there's loads of distractions around. But it's really hard to find someone that likes that as well. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, you you might you might not be you might not need it. You might be perfectly fine as a single pin. Lots of people are. Yeah, but but you know, for for uh, it's just one way that people one of the strategies that people have of being less feeling less isolated. Oh, totally. Yeah, because you know, even if you're in a very busy, in a, you know, you're at a gig and you're in a busy room, uh, you'll either be at the backsta backstage where they might be moaning about any whatever or whatever they're moaning about mm. or talking about or bigging each other up or teasing each other or whatever it is they're doing or drinking. Um, and the alternative is to go out front of house and then you're surrounded by people who you can't really talk to. Yeah. And they may or may not talk to you afterwards. They may hate you afterwards. I mean, I've seen comics being chased out of rooms. So, oh, wow. yeah. <laughs> and security having to get them out. I mean, and also the other side of it is, of course, when you're famous. I mean, we have to walk in people like Noel Fielding and Eddie Izzard. We have to walk them in and walk them out and get security. Mm. So we all, you know, it's like a, a cordon around them to yeah. get them in and out of a room. Yeah, I imagine that's quite isolated. Mm, yes. Very, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, and you therefore can't blame these people for having friends of the, at their own sort of level or people mm. that... You know, maybe not at their level yet, but that they perceive have work in the same way that they work. And so, totally. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I uh, personally, I don't find it that. I, I like gigs uh, where I don't know anyone on the bill. I don't like it when I like when I know one person and and you know don't know the rest because if I only know one, I'll tend to just go, oh, I'll just talk to them. Whereas if I don't know anyone, if I do an out of towner or whatever, mm. um, I tend to like the fact that I have to go and talk to. Otherwise, I'm just sat on my own like a, mm. like a weirdo. Talking to the other acts, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Well, I, th I think that's a very... Imp I, think, I think it's actually crucially important. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I would always say... Well, the problem is that people now don't remember Jimmy Carr on the circuit. But Jimmy was the ultimate networker uh, and contact maker, which is why he was successful once he got good enough, which took about three years, to be honest. So, you know, that even for him, he had to do his apprenticeship. Because he was just doing one-liners and, you know, we had this conversation about how do, you know, how would I do an hour show, you know, things like that. So he came down and helped me run some preview nights and he went, I'm a comic. I went, A, they won't know you because you're an open spot and these are, you know, we had, you know, people who were big names and Bill Bailey and all sorts of people. So they barely would have sit known him. And I said, but even if they do recognise you, they, they're going to be so thinking so hard about their previews. They're not going to they're not going to bother to even recognise you. They're going to be in, their heads going to be in a different space. Yeah. Um, so he came down and, you know, that the, the, was it? It was the following year, because I think that was the year he did Rubbernecker with Ricky and Stephen Merchant and Robin Ince. Um, but the following year, I think he did his first solo show there, or it might have been two years afterwards. But I think he found that really useful because everyone prepares for a pre, for, for Edinburgh in different ways. Yeah. And when you're a, a, a top comic, which these guys were, because I was, I was probably, well, I was certainly the only person running previews, a, a preview season, a long preview season in a pub in central London. So we were getting all the big names in. Mm. Um, and of course, those people haven't got time to spend like everyone, do, well, like people who are starting out now, you know, they're, they're doing previews for their next summer show starting in November or December. I, you know, I know people that are previewing now. Mm. And of course, next 
Saturday or Sunday, the Edinburgh Fringe Roadshow is coming to London, yeah. 22nd of November. You think, goodness, well, yes, we are now almost working a year ahead all the mm. time. But anyway, going back to Jimmy Carr, Jimmy <laughs> Carr was the ultimate person and he would network and he'd keep everyone's phone numbers. He would make... Um, because he, he used to be a rep when he was when he had his day job, and he used to do that thing which reps used to do of having index cards. So he'd go mm. home and he'd write down the names of everyone he'd met and everything he knew about them, and then he'd build them up just like you would if you were selling around, the, you know, going into a supermarket selling products or whatever. Yeah. So you go, oh, how are the kids? How are the dog? Whatever, you know, mm. is your foot better? Whatever it might be, and then you know they automatically you become much closer. The relationship would yeah. be closer with that person. So he's very good at doing all that sort of. Thing. And he used to walk around with a, a, a dictaphone, which obviously these days you've got it in your phone but it would he'd have it inside a file of facts and he'd, he'd go along and we all those of us who knew him still laugh at it he used to press a button and say note to self and he used to put all these tapes because they were all tapes he used to put them in the car on the way back home and listen to it and he'd listen to his gig in the car on the way back home yeah. you know i mean even he he ended up doing two two open spots a night but he'd record them but mm. initially he would stay right through and see everyone else network with the people the bigger names up very shrewd at thinking well these are all people at my level which are the ones who are really good who i have some rapport with that are going to do well mm. pal up with those but he'd also be working constantly at one or two levels up from himself and looking for opportunities and then if he met somebody who worked at the bbc he'd find out what they did at the bbc and blah 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 and go on from there and that's you know he's he's I just think he's a great example for that. Okay. And, and uh, so, but I say the problem is that young people coming into comedy now, I shouldn't say young people because some of them aren't young, but new people coming into Newer comedy yeah. won't necessarily be aware that that's how he did it. But it was all by networking. And, and to start with, he wasn't very funny because it was one, it was, pun, it was puns, yeah. you know, and, and that's hard. Mm. You know, you can get away with doing a not very funny story that's got a few bits in it, mm. but to constantly do five, ten, 20 minutes of puns yeah. it was a str uphill struggle and yeah. that's why I used to go on stage with a clipboard because that was part of the silliness about it a it helped him because he could look and see what the next bits were that were coming up but also it, it was a sort of a prop because it, it meant that people knew what was what and why and how it was working yeah. and he could do this thing which I'm sure you've seen him do going ticking it oh that worked tick yeah definitely yeah. you know just pull, pull, pulls people on side mm. no he uh, yeah I'm, I, I'm completely on board with that I mean I I don't, the problem is, I feel the problem with this is, is especially at, at a level I'm at and below, they see the way that some people network as brown nosing towards other people. And I think it's, it's a matter of, it's a matter of how you do it. Yeah. And I think you've got to do it in a friendly and a nice way. Mm. And, you know, you, you, you logically only do it with people that you think you have some rapport with or could have some rapport with, mm. you know. Uh, you know, it's the same as real life, really. You just think, well, if I want to get a promotion at work, who do I have to be nice to without alienating the rest of the people in my office? Yeah. So it's exactly, it's just think about it like that. And, and you're, you know, you're halfway there. Yeah. But personally, I don't see it like that. I used to. I used to think, you know, oh, I don't like the fact that I, I feel like I'm gravitating towards that person because mm. I, I think they're above me in terms of comedy. Mm. And, and I'd like them to be on my, you know, like... In, in my, my team. Head. Yeah, kind yeah. of thing. But, but now I just sort of think, to be quite frank, they've probably done the same thing to do mm. that. Or, and, and also then, this is, it's going to sound weird, but I don't think having a famous friend is going to make you famous. Oh, no. So I think, <laughs> even if I had a friend, because I, I, I have people who I know and who I've hung out with, like in Edinburgh mm. and stuff, who are doing way better than me. Mm. And I know they're never going to help me mm. until I'm as funny as I need to be for them to help me. Yes. So they, I, they'll, they'll, they'll be that when the time comes, 
Exactly. If, if the time comes, mm. Simon. <laughs> Thank <laughs> <No>. you. <laughs> we did talk about how you, we did talk about how you've never booked me before we started as well. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Oh, like the yet, but it could yeah. happen. I mean, you know. So I need to be funny enough for you, but not the, for them. <laughs> no, I mean that the, the, there is an apprenticeship period, and what I try and do, I suppose I work at three levels. I work with the really new people in as much as we do the competition and we also I, and, and there's a completely separate hat yeah. i'm involved with the admin and marketing of the absolute and almost beginners comedy course which logan murray leads and i say so i do the admin and marketing in that um and I, the only other involvement i have with that is that i do the first hour of just explaining how the course kind of will work but mainly about how comedy works just because some people come and do the course that have never been to a comedy club which mm. i find bizarre beyond yeah. belief but anyway there you go um so it's a matter of trying to get them all up to sort of just at least beginning to understand what stand-up comedy kind of it is and what it's about mm. um so sorry i can't remember where i started that conversation it was something to do with no that's okay uh, it, was, it was just about networking stuff um, yeah i went on to i'd gone on to something else there can't remember what it was. Sorry, well, Simon. Well, no, oh, no. Would, I was because I was teasing you about not booking you. <laughs> ah, that was what it was. Right. Um, it's yeah, basically. So I work with people at the very bottom level and try and encourage them. But the attrition rate at mm. the bottom end is huge, and it's and it's simply because it doesn't suit people. Right. It's not because they're not funny. Most people drop out because they don't feel comfortable in that world or doing mm. it, or whatever it might be. I mean, for there can be 101 reasons. I completely understand that. The attrition rate, I would say, is probably something like, it depends where, where you call. Let's say people who haven't done 50 gigs. Mm. It's probably probably 80%. Don't get ever get up to 50 gigs. And you need to get to 50 or 100 gigs to start feeling comfortable in your skin, generally speaking. Even if you were, you know, the let's use an, as an example, let, let's use... Um, Oh, brain's gone. Jack Whitehall, um, <laughs> as an example. Sorry, Jack. I watched his show on the Apollo last night, or wherever it was. Um, yeah, so even with him, although he'd only done six gigs, it took him probably 100 gigs before he kind of knew quite what he was doing. Yeah. And I'm sure he would say that himself now. Mm. Although at the time, of course, he was 18 and he was, I'm, I'm Jack, I'm me. <laughs> no, I mean, he was always, he was always, he's always been lovely. But I think that's part of that is because, as I mean, everyone now knows about Michael, but Michael was an agent his mum used to be a dancer mm. and Michael still is an agent as far as I know for people like Leslie Phillips and a few people like that but can mm. you imagine sitting with Michael and his mum who is lovely and all these eccentric actors sitting them with di for di having dinner or whatever you, you would learn how the business worked oh, yeah. and you would you would so you would that's why a lot of people who have famous parents in showbiz mm. go into showbiz it's why people who are her fathers who are plumbers go into plumbing yeah. roofers and going to roofing, farmers going to farming. It's because that's, it's not just what your family does, it's because you understand it and know it, and it just is automatic. You, so you go out and milk the cows, age 10, because dad's you know, got a, a, a bad knee or a hangover or whatever. So you go, I can do it today, dad. Yeah. And he's sort of half watching you out of the window, hoping that you get it right, and you do. Yeah. And you know, that's your life has begun as a farmer. Yeah. Same thing happens with comedy. It's nature and nurture together yes. there. Yes. It's not. It's not just you're born with those skills because mm -hmm. it's kind of genes. It's also the fact that in your in your family and environment, yeah. you have that going through that experience. And so I say, I think Jack would now quite happily say, and I've not had a conversation, but I've, I'm fairly confident he would say yes it took me 50 gigs 100 gigs before I started understanding quite where I was coming from and if you look at what he did over the first few years how he evolved you can kind of see those changes mm. coming through so yeah I, I did a, I did a clowning course uh, and uh, a guy on the course was with the school with Jack 
and uh, the guy has started since like to do mm. comedy and he said uh, that when he was 18 and hanging out with Jack he was like oh we're going here do you want to come you know Friday night or whatever he went I'll have to come off the gig mate. I'll have to meet you there and stuff mm. and I I mean I know for everyone who's doing well it's not like an agent pick them up and just chuck them on TV because it can't be that like I, I guarantee there are some acts out there that are just persistent and they're not the funniest and mm. whatever but I, I don't I mean I'm not saying that about him I'm just saying I think that you have to have gone through a stage where you've just Put, put to one side your friends, your family, whatever, and you've said, this is what I need to do yeah. because there's no there's no structure to it like there is with a normal job. There's no shortcut yeah. either. I mean, you can shortcut things to a certain extent by reading, doing courses, mm. meeting, being lucky, meeting well, the right people who point you in the right direction or introduce you to the right people. Yeah. But generally speaking, it's an apprenticeship, and that apprenticeship is a bit like doing the knowledge, really, mm. for taxi drivers. If you're really good and you're really good at reading maps and you've got a brilliant sense of direction, a good spatial, whatever, you're probably going to get through the knowledge much more quickly than if you're someone who can't read a map, can never remember the street numbers in a road, whether they go up to one side and down the other or whether they're the odds at one side and evens the other. I, I can talk about this because I actually used to know a cabbie very well. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, and some people... When, when he was involved, some people were getting through in nine months, other people was taking three years. Mm. And it's, I think it's exactly the same. You know, you all develop at your own speed, which can be because the amount of time you can put in, but it's also to do with your natural ability. Yeah. And, and yes, there are definitely people out there who aren't actually funny. And the ones <laughs> who aren't naturally funny and don't ad lib, or can't ad lib very well, are the ones that will never try to do a chat show. Okay. to host to be on a chat show they will they will host and they'll be on panels of quiz shows and panel shows because that's largely pre-written for them right but going on a chat show without a script and they won't let you have a script is really really hard having, well, having done it okay well, well, the, 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 this is the thing. sorry <laughs> I, I, I'll tell you what I'm doing. Sorry, I'm just trying to cross off questions because you're covering them all right. and I'm not even asking them, which right. is great. Because one of them was, how long do you think an apprenticeship is? And I knew you were going to go, like, how long is a piece of string? Because, you know, if you do it every night, you could, you know, you could push you along. But if you, um, you know, did it every night and you're rubbish because you're not getting, you know, you're not used to it or whatever, it's going to take you seven years, mm -hmm. whatever, no matter what. I mean, do you, I, I assume that is a fair answer. For, yeah, I think, yeah, I, I think you... I'd rather have your... Yeah, <laughs> I mean... I do know one, I, I can think of one person in particular who was thought to have absolutely no, not a single funny bone in his body. And he has now won, probably 10 years on, the gong show, gang, yeah, gong show, at least twice. Okay. And, so that's, that's your, and he's learned how to, sorry? So your, your gong show or you in the comedy store? No, the comedy show? store gong oh, show. Oh, okay, fine, yeah. Um, and he's won it at least twice. And he doesn't have a funny bone in his body. But he's just learnt by rote, by listening, by thinking, working out why people laugh at certain things and how to structure it. And he's actually written a good solid five minutes. He may, for all I know, have an hour. I doubt it. <laughs> but um, but good for him. So, I mean, anything is possible. It's, you know, it's and, and I can I can think of other people that used to think, oh, please, I've got to watch this person do five <laughs> minutes again. And then eventually they crack it one way or another. Yeah. Um, but equally, you can get people who are almost almost uh, intuitively good at humour straight away. Yeah. And it's something, sometimes it's just to do with use of language and phrasing and, and their demeanour. Mm. Quite often, if you're a smiley, happy person on stage, I'm not saying you lark about, but if you look warm and welcoming, you that helps. Mm. So if you're the sort of or your character, your persona on stage is going to be a bit glum, that won't help. 
Well, yeah, I, I was talking to Stuart Goldsmith about a week and a half ago, and he said uh, that, that that he originally found that quite annoying because people kept saying, "Oh, he's really likable." Like he's really like a likable person, and he was like, "Yeah, but like, and he believes comedy should be niche. Like, you should have a, like a, a target audience rather than just be a general for every man." So he thought of it quite as a negative thing. But I think uh, being likable is still a nichey thing. Because, for example, um, I, I mean, Jack D's likable, but he's also quite deadpan and hmm. dry. And so, obviously, not everyone's going to find that no. likable. Do you know what I mean? U- universally likable is, yes. is is what you're aiming at. If if you actually want to be the everyman comic. Yes. You know, and you do, you, you do, no, I just, I didn't say you, I meant generally I know, at yeah, one yeah. wanted to be. So yeah, that sort of universally uh, next door neighbour type person, someone that everyone can talk to and chat, you know, they would, they would feel, if they bumped into you in the street, they'd feel that you were their mate. And they could say hi. And say, and would come up and say hi. Yeah. And and people do do that to comics. I've seen it happen. I've been with people with when it's happened. I'm sure you have. I've done it. I've yes. done it. <laughs> I've, I've, yeah. I, I, you feel like, well, this is the thing, if, if I... If I like a comic enough, I feel like I can go up to him mm. and say... But I think it's more that... But that's because you're kind of sharing the same world. But, I mean, yeah. it's that thing about familiarity to a certain extent. And if someone is warm and friendly on stage, you kind of feel they're your mate. Yeah. So I remember when Frank Skinner was doing fantasy football. He, you know, he, he walks, Frank, walks an awful lot. He doesn't go mm. in cabs or buses, but he generally walks. Mm. So he'd be walking along and people would see him and go, blokes usually, and would mm. walk along beside him and start talking football. Yeah, and then they'd suddenly go, "Oh my God, this guy doesn't sit on a settee in my living room. He's sitting on a settee in the television <laughs> in my living room." And they'd just peel away. Yeah. And Frank said, "The secret, of course, is never to actually stop when you're talking. Just carry on, be very polite yeah. to people, but don't stop." Yeah, and and that makes absolute sense actually. Yeah, and they would they would go away slightly shamefaced, but also very happy, <laughs> which is great. Yeah, they've you got know. a story for later. They've got a story. For, you never guess what I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I I bumped into Frank in Edinburgh this year, uh-huh. and it was quite surreal because I, uh, I I I don't know. Like I saw him and then went, oh, it's Frank, and then turned around and went, Frank, and he was like, hi. And I was like, oh, hey. And, I, and for a second there, I was like, have we gigged together? Do mm. you know what I mean? Like, I had that weird moment where you're like, no, we haven't. Definitely haven't. Not at his level. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, weird... they do turn up sometimes. Yeah, I know. But it was just a, it was just a weird... And then we had a little, a little conversation. Mm. Not about football. I don't have a clue about football. No. Um, so something we brushed over was um, you said that you had like a night where you had a one-man night at a comedy thing. And someone submitted, a, like, there's only one man and the rest of them were female. On the oh, right, okay. And one of the questions we had submitted was, um, well, the, the question was, and I'll read it verbatim, right. and, and I'm sure you can you can discount or, or answer whichever bits of it you want to. Um, do, does Hills believe women can be funny? Does she have a policy against or for women booking on her bill? And does she have a quota for the amount of people she will have in a certain run of gigs? And also, what is her opinion of women uh, in the comedy industry uh, as it is at the moment? That's a lot of different questions, mm. I'm aware. And you can discount or keep whatever questions right. you want to. Right. I mean, I um, book my booking policy. As I say I program. I, I I try to think of it as programming rather than booking because I think that puts you in a slightly different headspace. Um, so I'm thinking about what the audience would want because I will always book comedians to suit the demographics of the people that I believe will be in the audience. Okay. Um, so if someone asks me to book comedians into a venue for them, which I don't like doing, incidentally, so please don't ask me to start doing it <laughs> again, um, I will then annoy them for half an hour asking for demographic information about their town, of the, you know, what young, where, where there's any other comedy, blah, 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 who, who's performed at those, com- you know, all that sort of stuff, just to get a feel of it, you know, and, and then I'll Google around a bit. But anyway, for myself, which is what I generally do, I book... 
uh, a variety of acts so that they complement each other. I try and book across the ages. So I will try and book people in their late teens, early 20s, right through to 50s. Um, I try and book a variety of appearance. I will try and book a variety of ethnicity, gender, whatever. Just so, and different styles, which is also very important. So if I did find myself one night with five men on a bill, or as I have in the past, find myself with five people on the bill, four of whom are female, they all need to be different enough, look different enough, sound different enough, the material has to be different enough, that people don't go, oh, another bloke or another woman. I mean, this thing about, oh, there's another woman, I can't see why people don't go, well, they, they do. I know people go, oh, another bloke. Mm. Oh, oh, and if they both got long blonde hair, they're gonna go, oh, okay, and then get confused. Mm. The public get very confused, bless their hearts. <laughs> um, they also don't know how long sets are. So if I find that I'm in a situation where I have to keep the show really short and we're very busy, I will actually say to the acts, I need you to only do 16 to 18, not, not 20. Right. And of course, the level that they're all at, they can. What I try and do in all my gigs is have a half spot, which might actually only be a six to eight minutes if it, if it ends up. Half spot's normally 10 minutes, because normally full set's 20. Sorry, saying that, I'm assuming that people know. Um, and obviously you can do extended sets, which are 30, 40, and then you do an hour, whatever you want to do, or, or however it works. But basically, yeah, the, the, the normal thing is 20 minutes. Normal half spot is 10, and five minutes is an open spot, tryout spot, whatever. I don't do open spots, tryouts. I don't need to, because we run Amuse Moose Laugh Off, and I see seven or 800 comedians for a minute and a half. And amongst those, I cherry pick the ones that I think show promise, potential, are interesting, different, whatever. I mean, Eric, Eric Lamper, for example, you know, first two, it's, he was bonkers, absolutely bonkers, bless him. But you go, that guy is good, and the likelihood is he'll persist either as a comedian or as a performer. Right. He's not going to not be a performer. So I just want to see how, he's, how he gets on. And he's doing really well. And now, interesting, he's becoming much more of a normal type stand-up. I don't know if you've seen him recently. No. But quite hard-hitting. In, in no, say hard-hitting. Quite strong, really. In the way he delivers, and I just think, and that's good because a lot of the young comics who are coming through are quite storytelling. Oh, I'll, I'll tell you a about this, a little bit about that. So at the moment, you know, the, sort of the Matt Richardsons, um, who else? Steve Begay, whose name I should really know how to pronounce. <laughs> I've known him for five years, um, and and sort of Chris Turner and people like that. There's a, there's a little, you know, some of them are quite upbeat, um, but there's an awful lot of people doing whimsy. Right. And Saturday night audiences aren't very keen on whimsy. Okay. Um, you know, they're, they're out they're out drinking with their mates. They're, there's three or four of them there. I'm not saying they're horrible people because they're out with their mates, <laughs> but they're out with friends. It might be their only night out this month because they've got small children. Babysitters on Saturday cost the earth and they want entertainment. They don't want some whimsy about mm. sitting on a tube train or a train and thinking about the animals outside and, you know, whatever it might be. That's not a good example, but, you know, just something that they just go and... So they want to be made to laugh. So I think, you know, if you are a comic who does whimsy, you need to make sure there's enough laughs in there. Okay. And you need to maybe be able to up the ante as far as your energy is concerned. Right. So you deliver. So you're doing an art centre gig, you know, to really, or you go in and do students. I mean, I think that's, that's the case for anybody. You need to read the room and mm. deliver what that room needs. And I'm not saying the actual walls, but what the people <laughs> in that room need. Yeah. And to some extent, you've got to think what the what the promoter is wanting. Yeah. Because you need to think about what their expectations. You can ask. You can say, "Well, oh, they seem a bit loud. 
I'm normally a bit whimsy. And he might say, hmm, yeah, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> and in which case you... That one. Yeah, yeah, you might say, well, I'll leave it to you to work out what to do. Or he might say, well, perhaps you need to up your game a bit or something. Yeah. And I think that's really important is to actually think, you know, when you're sitting on a train traveling to Darlington or yeah. whatever, think, what would I do when I get to this gig? It's this group of people or it's this group of people or it's this group of people. How am I going to adapt my set yeah. so that they're going to be happy? And, the, and assuming the promoter's happy, and you say, oh, God, I need, to, I need to up my game or I need to be, I need to make sure I don't swear at all. I've, I've just, mm. I've, I'm going to go to my non-sweary set, mm. which means all you've actually done is taking all the swear words out and replace them with something <laughs> innocuous, yeah. which could be, because a, a, people quite like funny words that replace swear words. Yes. Which I think is, is I, always, I always giggle at the ridiculous words that sometimes comics put in and i just think that's so funny yeah it's the, it's the red dwarf thing isn't it where they change everything to smeg yes and uh, i love that i can't i can't get enough of it. I, so, I, for a period of time i just replaced i tried to, to say smeg all the time well you would yeah, yeah. says a lot about you <laughs> <laughs> i'm a dwarfer yes um well, no, I, so does that mean out of interest does that mean you ever book um acts ex- expecting a certain set that you've seen before um, most of the time you do get what you've seen before if I haven't booked someone for a while. I mean, most comics... So you'd never request it? You'd never go, I, would you come and do that set? Oh, I, I might say, can you be sure to include X, Y, Z? Okay. Because someone's requested it or whatever. Okay. I mean, I always say to Noel Fielding, will you do back to front rounds legs? And he always goes, <laughs> heels! <laughs> then he goes, oh, God. Then he starts walking around the VIP area doing sort of ram's legs, trying to remember all the words, but he doesn't do it, of course. It's just, <laughs> it's just part of a joke. His original email address used to be ram's legs. Okay. So you're just Ram's legs at Yahoo or Hotmail or whatever it used to be. Well, we don't want to give that away. Well, it doesn't use it anymore. <laughs> oh, okay, I wouldn't have fine. told you otherwise. <laughs> it's long gone. But it used to, I, whenever, because that's the other thing. If you've got... A name that's interesting for your for your for your private emails. So you Mm. might want. I mean, one of the things that you could do if you think I don't want to mix up my private emails with my business emails is you 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 know everyone that you want that you just give your Gmail one or Yahoo one to your friends and family, and you set up you have your own domain with your own name in it. Um, they can still go both in the same inbox. You can divide them both, yeah. in, and then but you just have to make sure that you reply from the one that you want to reply <laughs> from, which you can equally well set up. Yeah. I mean, I'm no not, no expert at these things, but it's easily done. And then you know you you keep the two things apart, but actually they're in the same address book and they're all together. And I think that way is quite good because you actually, you know, you might want to spend some time going through your business ones that you might want to think oh I haven't spoken to so and so recently when did I last email so and so yeah and you can find it I just think you know keeping those things separate yeah because sometimes they go, if you do get famous they're gonna to have to be very separate totally and you know that's the same thing with Facebook and Twitter and everything is that people have usually got their own one and another one mm. so you know I get I get hold of quite a lot of famous comics on Facebook okay that's how I because they change their phone numbers and whatever yeah and their email addresses have changed and you know the way to do it is to get in touch with them direct yeah definitely. which i do with see people like phil jupiter and people like that yeah yeah um so you said so, that... sorry yeah when people yeah I, I i try to book a range of people really and my policy as i say i i i don't the problem is you see i stop thinking about what people are so, I, mean... I, don't, I don't actually i mean i've always been a bit like that i don't sort of segregate people very much because I used to teach in Tottenham, so you get a bit, <laughs> you just actually accept people for what they are. And therefore I look at, you tend to look at um, what they can add, to, you know, what, what their added value is to a night. Yeah. And, and clearly having a woman on a bill adds value to the night because half the audience are, are women. And we find that the majority of people who actually book tickets online are women. 
Okay. It's the women. That's who, interesting. But that's possibly because women are more organized, are more used to being the organizers. They are the ones that tend to hold the social diary for a family or right. whatever. But equally, it might be that they're fed up. I mean, we also find if there's been a major football match that we get lots of phone bookings just after the football finishes yeah. for, for that evening. And it's a woman and she's just said, we've just watched the football. This is very <laughs> stereotypical, but nevertheless, yeah. I, I do believe it is quite kind of the case. I get phone calls going, uh, we want to come out and see, see comedy this evening. And right. it's immediately, you know, you can tell it's 5.15 or 4.45 or whatever time the games yeah. are finishing. And I, 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 I do support a football club, so I'm kind of allowed to say <laughs> so all this. Yes, yeah, so you know when it's happening. Yes, yeah, so, so, yeah, so I'm just saying that... Um, as a general rule, I think it's that thing about we've done what you wanted to do. Yes. Let's do what I want to do. So okay. if they spent an afternoon shopping because the woman wanted to do it, we won't necessarily get a lot of men phoning up and saying, let's go out. Right. Because they're probably going to be wanting just to go home, please. Right. Because they've been out already. But if you've been stuck in doing something you're not really particularly keen on, mm. you might go, let's just go out now. Yeah. It's interesting because you've got to think about what your market is or what your oh, potential yeah. market is doing outside of your mm. world mm. Um, I mean I know you mean my, my parents for example uh, and all of my uh, dad's brothers I know that their wives sort a lot of their mm. arrangements out um, I'm, I'm sure that's of a certain like age that does that I mean for example I know that I sort out my own my own social life uh, outside of my girlfriend mm. for example and I mean obviously we book stuff together or what, she what books stuff inside your girlfriend pardon nothing <laughs> what <laughs> It's <laughs> a joke. I'm not saying you wait till you listen back. Oh, you have, have to, to edit it otherwise. To, no, I'll leave it in. Every, everything's <laughs> well, if everyone in. else can hear it, but if it's just a mumble, <laughs> it's quite Every, funny. Everyone else is everyone. Everything's staying in. So, <laughs> so, but you wait a minute. So you said that you. Um, so, so let me just ask this before I move on to the next bit. Um, so you don't put much. Do much. Well, do you put much stock in? Because uh, there's a lot of conversation going around where independent promoters are getting a lot of flack if they don't book a, com- a female comedian on a bill. Well, why, I mean? why would I mean? I don't understand why you wouldn't book a woman, because well, there are enough well, women out there now. I would say, in my defence and in in promoters' defence, is that sometimes I simply can't find a woman. They're working so much; mm-hmm. they're in such huge demand. The ones that get to a level where you can put them on a bill. And that you know they're a safe pair of hands because yeah. that's what we need. Yeah. Some I've had that where I've actually gone right, and I've gone through my, and I've actually then gone elsewhere and thought, who isn't in my phone, my fifteen hundred phone numbers? Who isn't in there? Mm. I mean, perhaps I should actually, oh, I should probably code them, group them, but I don't. <laughs> um, but I will sometimes same as if I need if if someone if my headliner drops out, right? I'll go through before I actually start replacing them. I'll go through all people like Al Murray and people like that and say, "Do you want a secret gig on Saturday?" Because yeah. sometimes people do. Yeah. And you know, and then you get emails back going, "It's a bit of a hard double from Wembley Arena Hills." <laughs> <laughs> that must be so fun for them to send. <laughs> um, no, I, I, but I, mean, those, I do get them like that, or I'm in LA. <laughs> Steve, Mer- a, Steve Merchant sex. I'm in LA, LA Hills. Bit of a hard commute from there, yeah. <laughs> I am. Um, no, I know what you mean. I mean, personally, I. So, so, would it be fair to say if you are, because you're looking for ideally with a spot specifically, a woman in or a man who can do a solid twenty minutes that you've seen a couple of times before, or or you've seen do a few like sh- smaller spots before that you know will work well in that group of people that you've already booked. I tend to, I. I mean, on my Saturday nights, I tend to stick pretty much with people that I've seen, that I book regularly, or that I've seen recently do really well, 
I mean, people like John Hastings, as I take, is come onto my Saturday night roster, no, John, he's very cool. and he compares very well as well. Mm. So he's he's lovely, um, and that's and I, there's a few other people that I would say probably in the last year I've added sort of six or eight people because I've lost people like Hal Cruttenden who doesn't do uh, circuit anymore. There's a few other people that don't do circuit. So as they move off the circuit, you kind of need to replace them with your sort of uh, mainstay right. bunch of comedians. Um, who just want to be circuit comics, basically, or who are just circuit comics? Well, they're good, the very good circuit comics. I mean, right. on our Saturday night, other than our half spot, they've all won an award, or they've been on telly, or combination of, mm -hmm. or whatever it might be. Uh, it's very rare that I would have someone see someone like John Hastings. He's got nothing over here, but he's won big awards yeah. in Canada. Um, he's got to have that sort of status. Dana yeah. Alexander, for example, from Canada. Mm. Um, people that you know that I know no matter who is in the room and I don't n let stag or hens in by the way and we don't let large single gender groups in but nevertheless you don't know quite what you're getting also there's the problem sometimes that they're book small groups but there's actually 40 of them right so you might actually end up with a rabble mm. but also I just think I want to give people quality yeah I want to put on a quality show I think it's my reputation as well on the line so I book those people but I but I don't book some, if I haven't seen someone for a while, unless they're really rock solid, so let's say someone like, um, someone who hasn't been over to the UK for a while, I'm just trying to think who that, let's say Mike Wilmot, I haven't seen Mike Wilmot for three oh, years, Australian but I wouldn't, no he's Canadian as well, oh, sorry. Um, but I would never hesitate to put him on the bill, Okay. because if he had gone, let's say he was for some reason things weren't going well, I'd have heard. Okay. People are going, oh, what a shame about, you know, X, Y, Z. Yeah. And then you go, oh, right, well, I better check that out. But yeah. ordinarily, I'm not saying bless him, but I'm just using him as an example. Yeah. I would book him without thinking about it, even if I've not seen him for three years. But a lot of comics I would want to see fairly mm. recently uh, if, well, not fairly, well, within the, the last year. Okay. Because people go off, you know, people do go off for various reasons. Their life changes, things happen to them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and if I think there's any question mark, I'd make sure they're not closing. Yeah. I mean, I don't, that's the other thing is my, the way that I work it, and the one reasons why I have people doing a short spot, open spot, well, it's not an open spot, it's a half spot, but paid, is that I know that if there's an issue, I can jiggle the people, hopefully jiggle people around on the bill and bring someone in to replace it. That means that I can upgrade the person that I booked to do a half spot mm. to maybe go up to a 15 and bring someone else in. At doing doing a, a five or a ten minutes, mm. and if I've seen somebody recently, I mean, I do sometimes go and see someone at an open spot club, uh, you know, spot night, and go really like that, and have a chat, find out, and they go, yeah, he's doing quite well. Oh yeah, yeah I've seen him fail. You know, the okay. promoters will tell you. The other promoters, tell, we know, we talk about talk to each other. Yeah, and they say, no, he's doing really well, and you go, gig, put you in. Okay, well, that that opens up two quick questions. Um, Besides, but that's not very often because I mo generally see most people in our competition. Yeah. And what I would like is every new comic in the country to, to enter the competition. Because what we're going to be doing this coming year, it's not going to be, even at, the, even at their 90 seconds bit, mm. which is they, they, what we're going to do this year is get them to film and edit the best 90 seconds. And they submit that 90 seconds. From any gig, so if they've got like a From, five minute spot, they can take 90 seconds in the yeah, middle? Yeah, they, they just literally take okay. their best, their, their, what actually think is the blindingly funny bit. Right. Uh, upload that on Vimeo or YouTube or wherever, but ideally password protected, I would always say. Mm -hmm. And then, like we're going to do what we've been doing with Amuse Moose Laughter Awards, which is actually send that out everywhere. So any comedy club promoter, anyone who wants to be on the panel and watch lots and lots of new comedians, that's going to be the plan. So by entering, you get seen by people in not just in the UK, Australia, 
mm. New Zealand, San Francisco, Canada. You know, we've got all sorts of, I mean, people who run all the comedy festivals uh, who are involved in the booking side of it. I don't mean actually doing the admin end, but the people who are involved in the artist repertoire type stuff, the A&R, or well, that's not the word I'm looking for, but you know what I mean. Yes, I know what you mean. The, the, artist, the, the booking side of it. The um, scouts. The scouts. Scout, yes, scouts would see it. So, yeah. so outside of the Amuse Moose competition, how, I mean, do you, is that the main one you look for, for your own acts? Moving. Yeah, I mean, why, why? Yes, I mean, I do go to open spot nights, but how often it's excruciating. Say, how often would you say? I, you I have been known to. <laughs> I've been known at the, at the uh, downstairs at the King's Head to go into Pete and go, oh Pete, and he goes, I know hills. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, <laughs> head in hands. No, no, no. And of course, the comics, the ones near me, because they all know which ones it is that everyone's <laughs> going to do that. They're all laughing at me as I'm going, oh, please, and I'm slithering down the wall. They've <laughs> <laughs> all turned to you as if to go, this is going to be good. Yes, you're going <laughs> to. That's not going to be good. Her reaction's going to be It's going to be really funny, yes, yeah, yeah. yes. Yeah. yeah, no, I know what you mean. Yeah, so, sometimes you're... So I, t- I, t- I tend to pick and choose my open spot nights. So, and they, I, the ones I go to are run by people that are mates. So it'd be like downstairs at the King's Downstairs at King's Head, because yeah. I know Pete well, because I used to live in Crouch End. Yeah. Um, I know people who are, I haven't been over there recently, but I, I'm, I'm planning to go over to the Cavendish and see their stuff, mm. which, I mean, one of my slight reservations about the Cavendish has been um, that it's effectively, you've got to, it's a bringer gig. Yeah. But my take on that is, if you pal up with another comic, mm. you are the other person's guest every other time. Yeah. And if someone doesn't ro- rock up, or if that person running the gig really likes your guest, mm. they might say, well, actually, yes, you can go on. Yeah. So you might get a gig out of it anyway. But I, th- I think you just have to, you have to play the, play, what's, what's, play the rules, play, play the, the game, game, play yeah. the game, bend, bend the rules, however, yeah. whatever. I just <laughs> think you have to work out a way of making, maximising opportunities. Yeah. I'm, if, if I mean, it would be crazy not to do the Cavendish. Yeah. Because they see lots of people there. And I know people, lots, you know, not say agents, but scouts do go down. Mm. And, and you know there's no harm and it's a nice busy gig and it works mm. well and it's a night's room I mean unfortunately it's too far from anywhere yeah. it's a good 15 minutes walk in the winter you go mind you I drive but then of course I, then it means I can't properly drink so that's mm. a bit of a pain yeah. but anyway um, I mean, in my, my experience with the Cavendish is it still gets quite a solid audience without mm. the plus ones mm. I mean so I mean although it's a bringer I, I think they could take away the bringer and it wouldn't have as much of a dent well they could, prob- they could probably do away with the bringer bit for the one for the acts they know are good yeah. So that the new people who haven't, you know, if you haven't done it six times, mm. you've got to bring someone. But once you've actually yeah. acquired the status, um, because there's the problem about what happens if you bring people and they can't even get in. I mean, it'd be miserable to have to send someone away because it's a limited space. It's not a huge yeah. room. Yeah. So, but maybe they wait until that happens. But I, th- I think you're right. Mm. Um, but equally, you might say, well, we, we'll do it at peak times of the year when we know it's going to be busy. But mm. in the summer, it is a bringer gig, regardless. Yeah. I, out of interest then so you said that you you do go to comedy for pleasure like your other nights oh, and yeah. stuff and you go well I'm, I'm a friend of Soho Theatre I'm a, I, I pay them give them 100 quid a year to get advance notice of gigs there and things oh awesome well uh, what, say someone was going to put on a gig say someone's going to put on a show or or, 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 or like they were going to um, do their thing like say, say someone from Glasgow was mm. coming down to London mm. to do a run of their shows mm. and they wanted you to see them at their show what would be the best way of approaching you on something well, they, like that? Well, you know, normally people invite me on Facebook or they directly invite me. Okay. Um, I tend not to go very far. I, li- <laughs> I live in Soho and work in Soho. So, 
Um, it's a book next door to your house. <laughs> yeah, so her theatre. Um, so um, I tend... I mean, I can get... Let's put it this way. A 55 bus is very convenient over to Shoreditch. Um, and I'm quite happy sitting in a 55 bus. Stops at the end of my road. Um, and there are certain other places I don't mind going to okay. by, by public transport, which means I can get a drink in. And I do quite like to have a couple of beers. Right. Um, because I'm going out, so... So, um, so, so do you want to give your postcode? So, <laughs> so, so, so. Um, I, I'm great because I've booked I booked Brixton, so that's, that's not that's out of your reach. Well, um, it, is, it is a tad far. I mean, that's the other thing is if a gig is a bit further away, um, it really has to be near a tube station. Okay. Which is so well, but I, but I think that's that's the that thing that's the case with almost anything really. Yes. You yeah. you, you need you know, it's the same as opening a tobacconist or a newsagent. It's got to be by a bus stop. Yeah. You get no trade if you're in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Well, you'll get a bit of trade, but, but not as much. You, know, you need people who get off a bus and fancy a bar of chocolate. Yeah. Or a newspaper, or a packet of cigarettes, or a pack. You know. It's knowing your audience. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's 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 just plain sensible marketing, really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, one of the questions I, I got asked to ask you, which I think you've kind of answered, but I'm going to ask it just because you might have something else you wanted to say on it because it's a slightly different take, was um, what's the thinking behind the 60 second or 90 second heat? Do you think it rules out certain types of apps plus decent acts who maybe can't uh, get down to a major city? The, I, I assume the YouTube thing does pretty much... Well, now this, this is it's interesting, you see. What you need to think is that we didn't this year go out of London at all. When I'm talking about this year, I'm talking about 2014, which is now gone. Right. And three of our finalists weren't, don't live anywhere near London. They came down for their 90 seconds. They came down for every other round mm -hmm. and they did it. And I think you have, to, you have to want to be successful. You have to go, I want to follow in the footsteps of X, Y, Z. It worked mm. for them. I think it might work for me. Um, so you put, I mean, other but than your... this year it's not going to apply. So we're expected to be completely overrun with people sending in ninety seconds. Mm. But they're still going to have to come to London. Once we we're going to do the the the, the ninety seconds, and then I'm debating at the moment. Um, I'm probably what we're probably going to do is to ask them to submit up to ten minutes, with the first five minutes being the bit they really want us to watch. Okay. Um, but those will only be people that we've actually selected from the from the from the ninety nice seconds. Second. But if they've edited their 90 seconds that it starts where they want it to start, but it actually runs for five minutes afterwards, then it's it's possible and quite likely that the ones that people, the ones that the judges like or the voters or whatever you want to call them like, they're going to watch it further. Okay. They're going to keep watching, aren't they? Yeah, definitely. So, you know, it's a way of getting your, your, your you out in front of people that you want to put. And then you can, mm. you can actually say to someone in Gateshead, a club in Gateshead. Oh, I just entered the Amuse Most Laugh Off. Mm. Um, you could either say, "Here's my link," or yeah. you could go, "Why don't you go on the judging panel?" Yeah. So, but it's entirely up to people what they do. Yeah. But I think I think we're going to get a lot more judges wanting mm. to do it simply because it's just such a shortcut. But ninety seconds. If you can't make people laugh in ninety seconds, I mean, the, the Gong Show at the Comedy Store. Mm -hmm. Okay, we know people that managed to not do anything in 20 seconds but but they have the crowd in their hands already mm. the, the the crowd knows by their demeanor and how they hold themselves and what the how they walk on stage unless it's been set up really badly by the compare because sometimes the compare has to actually go into a kill mode doesn't he and we've all seen that but generally i do go down there sometimes by the way mm. um down to the gong show um but anyway yes so but generally speaking 
to get you 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 can't assume that if you're going to enter something into a competition that's going to be um audio visual which is posh word um because yeah. i'm just thinking that the old the bbc used to do it by tape used to send in a cassette years ago of yeah. just just audio but anyway audio cassette um so you've got to make sure that the first thing they see people are going to start being interested in but that's what you should do when you're on stage anyway yeah i'm sorry you know if you go for an interview for a job what is it they say 70 percent of the decision about whether you're going to get the job is made before you open your mouth yeah so you've got to look right you've got to instill confidence yeah you've got to walk a, up like you're meant to be you there. own the stage i mean the yeah. expression that everyone says is you've got to own the stage yeah so that's really important can you uh, slightly going to a left field turn of that mm. because i know that uh, uh, a potentially ambiguous term that is used a lot in your competition is uh, you're looking for star quality yes could you define what you mean by like what you personally mean by that we're what we're not looking for is someone whose ambition is going to be to headline the comedy store or to do jonglers what we want is the next jonathan ross the next jimmy carr the next russell brand so the next multi-talented comedian yeah the okay. person who yeah who's who is based in humor right but who can who will become you know iconic okay but they don't have to be i mean we had people win our competition who've not become iconic yet and who may never become comic iconic but they are top-rate comedians most of them and some of them have moved into other areas you know you look at i mean mark watson and nina conti in 2002 won one hours and was second in the other mm. sorry <laughs> sorry <laughs> that was wrong won one hours and was second in the bbc new comedy awards and the other one won it the other way around and i can mm. never remember which and i suspect the bbc can't either <laughs> but if you look at them both of them are very, very well known. They're mm -hmm. very different. Um, I don't think either of them do the comedy store anymore. Nina stopped doing the comedy store, I think, when she before she had her first baby. Right. She did it pregnant and it, and it was noticed, which is a bit odd. But anyway, someone said to me, is she pregnant? Mm -hmm. Yes. And? Um, but anyway. Um, but, you know, their careers are, are huge in maybe what they want to be. Alex Horn, for example, did yeah. very well our competition. Yeah. But you can demonstrate, they were able to demonstrate in a very short space of time, their talent. Yeah. So it's just, we're just looking for, yes, yeah, someone who's going to be a star. I don't really want to say iconic because I don't want to make people, that just seems impossible. And it puts people off. I it think. puts people off. Yeah. But, you know, at the end of the day, that would, that's great. If we can go down the list, you know, we mm. go Sean Walsh, we can go Josh Riddickham, we can go, you know, Jack Whitehall, Sarah Millican, Andy Osho, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. You know, Marcel Leconte, blah, blah, whoever. Yeah, I, I feel like... Um, okay. I mean, the other example at the moment, of course, is Rob Beckett. Yeah. He's on his third series over in Australia mm. doing that. Well, I, I feel like the... Pro I mean... And, and really isn't doing much in the stand-up at all. Yeah. I mean, he's supposed to be touring next year. Yeah. But, I mean, I don't know anything much about that yet. But he's he's much more going into just being a television personality, really. Right. And, and that might be the way he goes. Is it, and he feels a niche in there because there's not really anyone else quite like him. Is this linked because because you used to manage people, didn't you? Or do you still? I have. Ma I have. I hate it. And you I wouldn't manage ma anyone ever again. No. Okay. Because I was wondering if that's what no, you're I won't for, manage you. No. No. I, no. Oh. <laughs> well, we might. We're done then, aren't we? No. No. Um, <laughs> no I've, and I've been told off for not making the most of those opportunities that I've had. But 
I really don't want to do it. And and interestingly, okay. I mean, I kind of have been approached by a couple of agencies, but because the way I work, they've all got open access to them anyway. So why would they be dealing with me? Yeah. You know, it doesn't make any sense. I just really, I don't want to, I, I dislike the feeling of being responsible for other people's livelihoods. Makes that's, sense. That's, that's the bit that I don't, I, it's, it stops it being in any way fun. Hmm. It st starts being work. And really why I'm in comedy, because I started off as a punter, then started helping people run gigs. Then I started doing things as a hobby. And I only finished my having a day job in 2002, which was when I first, I programmed all the comedy at Underbelly, interestingly enough. Okay, that's interesting. So wait, so you I mean, Underbelly is now huge, but that so, was, and that was before they really started opening the bars. They're the yeah. biggest publicans in August in Edinburgh, Underbelly. So you wait. So you started as a punter, yeah, to just going to comedy yeah. nights in like Soho and around the area. Well, uh, I was I lived in North London at the time. There were a couple of clubs. There was downstairs at the King's Head, and there was a place called the Earth Exchange, and there was yeah. also, oh, can't think what it's called. But anyway, there's another. There's a a friend of mine used to manage it, which is really so I can't remember. I can't remember the name of it. But anyway, yes, there were venues up there, and there was the Red Rose, which was in Seven Sisters, Seven Sisters Road near near um, Finsbury Park Tube. So you started going to. So did you start going to them, and did you start performing them, or did you just oh, go I never straight performed. to? Performed. So, so you just looked at it and thought, I'd love to run something like that. Or I'd no, love to. I just went. Oh. To, I just went as a punter. So, so how did you start running a club? Then? Well, people started asking me to help them run the. So and so can't come in next week to do the door. So like your friend doing the door. Because oh. I got to know comics. Because hmm. you, you need to remember, this was probably only a hundred comics out there. Right. You know, so I knew a lot of them really, really well. I mean, when I first went to Edinburgh in '87. And I went, I went up in 88 as a Perrier panellist, which is now the Foster's mm -hmm. Awards. And I know Nika very well who runs them, so it's, that's fine. Um, and I think that year, because they didn't, they, in those days, the Fringe programme was amalgamated. It didn't have comedy as a section, didn't have whatever. But mm. I think they went through and worked out there were 66 comedy shows. Who's <laughs> looking at it now is... Uh... Yes. Quite laughable, um, or, or quite fun to yes. just think about how it's I mean, it was, it was already in a magazine format, but it was a stapled magazine format, a bit like, right. in fact, it's very like, the pages were a bit thicker, but it was the same sort of thickness, or maybe even a bit thinner, would have been a bit thinner, than Time Out, now that you get the stations. Wow. So it was, it was like that, and, the, and the, section, the things were much bigger, and it went right across the page, right. and it was printed on sort of newsprint inside with a slightly, slightly better cover, if I remember. I've got the very first one I had at home. But anyway, <laughs> yes, bizarre. Yes, <laughs> yes. So, um, so, yes, so I started being a punter and I started helping people. And then I got involved with, well, I just went, yes, I started helping run some, someone help run a gig on a Saturday night, every Saturday. And then they used to close in the summer. And then I said to them, well, what if I do previews on, a, you know, coming up to Edinburgh? Because I knew that, because I was talking to the acts and they were all going, oh, we need to go and practice our stuff. Yeah. So I in July I started running because people didn't preview. I mean, I remember seeing Stuart Lee on the train on the way out to Edinburgh writing his show, <laughs> or rewriting it probably more likely. But um, yeah, so I ran you know back to back previews sometimes three in the evening in a pub in Soho, um, and then started running and then that was fine. I did that for two or three years, still helping on the Saturdays and then I I started running Sundays in there and that's when people like Ricky and Stephen Merchant and used to always have big names a few big names come in and do do it as well but as well as the sort of baby comics that i've been working with and i've also been working with baby comics up at a pub in north london called the enterprise in oh, chalk farm yeah. and we were putting comedy in there um and we did that on sunday nights and then eventually we did it on friday we did it also on friday nights for a while and alex zane compared it for me but that's going into the 2000s because i started there in 99 started running that in 99 on sundays so, so you've so 
because you said you had a full-time job till 2002 mm. so you were a teacher you said no no well, I taught I taught for a bit no at that point I was director of comms and fundraising for a <laughs> sheltered housing um oh, wow. charity yeah oh cool well so, not so, really I hated it okay. which is why I stopped <laughs> why I stopped so, so you've actually only been full-time in comedy for about 12 years yeah Wow, because to an outsider, it looks like you've been full time for your life. Like, no, no. just because you, you. Well, no, I mean, I've, I've, <laughs> I've had a family to raise and all the things you have to do. Yeah, yeah. And and it wasn't a woman's world. Okay. I mean, it was a, it was a very small, much smaller world, and there were very few women did it. I mean, I'm, there's not many women who do what I do. No, no. You no, know, who who run clubs? Yeah. Uh, once you get to above a certain level, yeah, it's nearly all fellas, isn't it? Yeah. Pretty much. Very, very few female bookers. From from my minimal experience mm. in it, yeah, I would say. I mean, I've I've had conversations with them and stuff. I, you know, like mm. you said, but uh, yeah, most most of it's. Uh, mm. I wouldn't call it a boys' club. It's not like that. Oh no, anymore. no, it's just but, that but it feels predominantly male run. Yes, if that makes sense. But then the agency side is largely female. I've noticed that as well. As Every as agent general. I've spoken to has been a, a female, mm. and and I are, mean the the big boys tend to all be boys. Right. Okay. Just saying. <laughs> So we're we talking PBJ and um, Avalon and things like that. Uh, well, PBJ is Peter, Peter Bennett Jones. Yeah. Uh, Avalon, of course, is the three, three. Mm. Um, two. I mean, I'm not sure what's happening off the curb, but certainly Danny and um, Joe uh, are in charge there. I don't know if there are any other directors. Okay. Uh, now, because obviously things have changed. Uh, Hannah James, of course, is female, but that, yeah. she's, that's a relatively new agency. You see, she yeah. only started that when. 2000-ish, something like that. Yeah. Which, in in you know, in terms of longevity, is is relatively recent. Yeah. Um, uh, yes, I mean, there are quite a number of agencies that are sort of one level down, you might say, that mm. are female. Okay. Female run by women. Mm. Um, but that's basically because the big ones have been there longer, that were set up by men when men see it, saw it as it's just something to do because they've been running gigs or they've done whatever and just wanted to represent somebody. Presumably, I don't quite know how how Avalon started or Off the Curb started. I don't know what the background was. Actually, I do. Yeah. I think Off the Curb, I think Addison used to be head of Ents at a university. Oh, okay. So, so I think I think he on. came in sideways from that. I think, I might be completely wrong, but I think that's Addison Creswell came in that I'll way. I'll try and get him on. And but I, I suspect, actually thinking about it, I suspect Avalon came in that way as well. Okay. I think they probably were bookers because they had, I remember I used to book a, <laughs> I have a, a friend called Richard Bean, who the, the writer, the mm. author, uh, playwright is a word I'm looking for, um, <laughs> who did stand up. Um, and I actually represented, I was his agent. I refused to be his manager. I was his agent for a while in two, in 91, I think it probably was. And I got him into the comedy store within six months. His picture's still on the wall there, but he was known as Dickie Bean. He wouldn't be pleased for me to say that. But anyway, that was his <laughs> stage name was Dickie Bean. And yes, I used to deal with the Avalon guys then, and they were booking into a lot of, a lot of universities. Right. So I think they started off in Ents okay. and then thought that was a market and then went from there and then thought we can, why would we be paying some other, someone else to be agents? Why would we be dealing with people? Why don't we sign up people ourselves? Well, they may have seen good people that weren't represented that they thought should have been. Yeah, and they just did. And just took own. it, I don't know. Yeah. It'd be interesting to find out. Yeah. I might ask them. Well, you could ask them. I was, yeah, you I'll, ask them. I, I will try and get them on. I mean, they, I'd love you to might go. have to go to them. Yeah, oh, yeah definitely. definitely. <laughs> I, I she believe, says from I, his living room. <laughs> I believe they're all in Soho, so I could have come. No, no, uh, Avalon are over in, in um, Labbrook Groveway. I know PBJ are in, are in Soho. Yeah, they're all, yeah. yeah, most of them but, are central. Yeah. I but, 
think off the curb are a bit. F I think they might be in Camden somewhere. I'm not sure. Okay. Anyway, I'll, I'll run around. Yes, it's fine. You yes. don't have to. <laughs> um, I was gonna because while we're on the competition thing, we've got one more question on that. Okay. Um, basically, what they've asked is. Um, why does she think that uh, I'm just going to read them verbatim? Right. Why does she think androgynous anecdotal acts have star quality, whilst they have appeal to all? Isn't it better that an act is willing to say something rather than be a bland observationist in tight jeans? Like who this year? They haven't specified that. Right, I, I can't think of a tight. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Tight-jeaned comedian <laughs> from this year. I don't understand why the tight-jeaned bit matters. Well, I think it's the Jack Whitehall <laughs> reference. I think that's where they're going. Um, I think you need to recognise that comedy's moving on, has moved on, is moving on. We don't know where it's going. Mm. That's, I mean, we're all... I was going to say struggling is not a word, really. That isn't quite... We're all trying to work out what the direction is and how we, in whatever our job is, are going to work with that, whether we're an agent, whether we're a promoter, whether we're a producer, whether we're the venue, whether we're the fringe, who knows? Right. I mean, I've got various theories about various things, which is just interesting, and we'll see how if it goes. Um, excuse me, I'm going to have to cough. <coughs> I've got a cold. Sorry, people. <coughs> oh god I started now you're alright do you want a glass of water or something <coughs> yeah that would be a good idea probably I've been talking for a long time I've been yeah, about I, I was going to say it's nearly my my uh, hour on stage is nearly up I, I think there's a I think there's a general um should we say misunderstanding in it because everyone's seen Jack has got mm. famous parents and an agent for parents and as a result they presume I mean I presumed it for a little while that he just sort of went through daddy and oh, do you know no, what no. I mean and, and I assume that's why especially as um, he is sometimes your go-to person like Rod Gilbert for your course and Greg Davids and stuff and sometimes you mm. talk about Jack to do with the, the well I just think they're ex good examples really of people who yeah. who demonstrate a particular thing yeah um, I mean Rod Gilbert is interesting because he and Jimmy and um, Rob Beckett and Holly Walsh have all been on our crew. Nick Helm has been on our crew, mm. helping run comedy nights. And at the time, they didn't. They were sort of thinking about it. They were dabbling because I won't. Don't take on someone onto the crew who is already doing well or beginning to make inroads because 
the trouble is, before you know it, they have they have to sort of choose between your gig yes. and and a mirth control gig in Newcastle, even though they're yeah. not going to get paid for it because they've got a car, they're asked to go. Yeah. So, um, but. So you, there's, a, there's a tendency just to look at really good examples that demonstrate something because I could give you other examples but you wouldn't know who I was talking about right so that's why you tend to go Rob Gilbert anyway Rob Gill but yes he started out on our on our crew but he said to me two or three weeks ago that he's now he, well he told me a while ago that he's not going to do stand-up anymore but he reaffirmed this that he's not going to do stand-up anymore oh, okay but that you know you get to a point and this is going to sound really quite a weird thing to say but I think actually the nature of comics some of them get to that point, depends why, why you're driven. Bear in mind that he didn't actually even want to be a stand-up. Mm. His girlfriend persuaded him to do the comedy course. It's a long, a long course. thing to do because the girlfriend persuaded him, you. <laughs> it took him three, probably three or four years, and he was in Montreal. And I, My daughter and I were standing next to him, and he said to Bryony, I, I think I'd quite like to be famous. <laughs> and, but I think the thing that happens is that if, unless you're really wedded to it and you're obsessive about it, or you just, you know, you love it to pieces. Mm. I think there might come a point, which has happened to quite a few people, I believe, where they go, you know what, I've got five million in the bank, I've got a really nice house, um, why am I doing something that I really don't enjoy very much anymore, that's actually a worry, that I get uptight because I've got a tour coming up or whatever or whatever, I'm just gonna take life a bit easier, because I've actually got enough in the bank. And yeah. I'll always be able to get bits of work, or yeah. it's going to be a long time before people stop asking me to do various things. And, you know, I can go and write music. I'm just thinking about people like Bill Bailey, for example, mm. who, to the best of my knowledge, is now managed by his wife, who's lovely, but, I mean, she's not an agent. No. So if you want to book Bill Bailey, you have to get in touch with, with him through her, Yeah. which is fine. I'm sure for some people that's it. I mean, but then I bet on the other end of the scale, I'm sure there's people that love comedy. Oh, from the point and, they, of, and they wouldn't know what to do with themselves. Yeah. You know, they've got nothing else in their lives and it's yeah. just the be all and end all. Mm. I mean, we are, I think we do tend to all be a little bit like that. Yeah. You know, I'm a bit twitchy until I know a show's finished. Like <laughs> Friday night, I couldn't be there because I was, I'd, I'd long time, because we, we only just started doing these Friday nights, um, which are interesting because I'm actually looking to develop them slightly differently in the new year. But, um, Yes. And, oh, yeah. We were talking about people, people who um, who decide not to do it anymore, basically. So I kind of finished that. I think okay. I think I had. Well, I, I, I don't quite know how you're going to edit it, but you might just have to go, stop here for a coughing fit. <laughs> I'll be like, if, if you've listened this far, well done. And uh, you, you go and make yourself a coffee yes. and you can listen to us make one. It'd be like you're here. <laughs> be lovely. Um, yeah, I, know, I, 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 I get what you mean about that. I mean, there are some there are some comics. It's it's weird because we've we've taken we've gone through everyone that I can think of in my own head now because there are some people I know who say they want it for a job and have not done as many gigs as I've done no. or they've not been going as long as I've done and they haven't sort of got up at seven gone to work done till mm. five thirty rushed out got yourself a train ticket gone down to Hull or wherever and then come back first thing in the morning gone to bed got up done the thing and and then oh, had gone to, straight to work yeah, yeah yeah and just had to put a smile on your face and go no i can still do my job i don't need any help don't worry about it i've got this energy drink popping pro plus yeah 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 exactly and and i mean i've done that in edinburgh i've been pro yeah. plus queen in edinburgh sometimes you just <laughs> have to be you know you, you you know you go to bed you actually see daylight and then you suddenly think or or something happens you've got to be up at half past 10 and you just say well i've got to be up at half past 10 <laughs> Um, I mean, the general rule of thumb always used to be 100 gigs. You should be reasonably good by 100 gigs. Mm. I don't know whether that's still the case. Can't tell, really. Some people will do it quicker. Some people will do it take longer. Some people will take forever. I think, you know, eventually you will do it. But, you know, getting the number of gigs under your belt and doing gigs where you learn from. There's no point going back to a gig 
where you think there's nothing to learn from this gig anymore I've done this enough times and there's nothing there I think you need to be constantly looking for new opportunities mm. otherwise you're getting right you just become a hobby comedian yeah and you know there's hundreds and hundreds of those but going back sorry going back to your thing about tight jeans tight jeans <laughs> comedians or whatever it was I think you know remember Jack was 2007 Sarah won in 2005 and Jack won 2007 and that was, you know, there has been a sort of type gene phase since then, which has largely gone, really. I don't think that applies anymore. I can't think of anyone other than very skinny men who wear tight jeans because that's the size of jean they wear. Otherwise, they'd look really quite silly. Yeah. Um, but they're still not skin tight. I can think of two or three, but I won't name them because they might be offended. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, that sort of very slim studenty builds that you get with some of the comics where obviously they're going to wear quite slim trousers. But I think the whole, I think observational comedy is, is at a bit of a, a crossroads at the moment. And I think that's partly because people have sussed out that Michael McIntyre has no content. It's all style over content. And, and uh, this is punters. I'm not, ta yeah, I'm not talking yeah, about, no, I think, you know, people who buy DVDs, um, you know, hopefully he's got enough money in the bank that he's going to be able to ride things out and it'll be all yeah. right. I don't know, but I would imagine that that's a bit of a problem and I'm and I and lots of other people are thinking what comedians do we know that don't do just observational skipping around a stage type stuff yeah um so that's interesting so and I don't think we're going to go back to variety but I think in in the old-fashioned sense of yeah. juggling and whatever and whatever it might be throwing fire so, anyway all those kind <laughs> of things but um I think there is going to. I think we are going to be looking. It's always going to have to be funny. Yeah. So if you're going to dance, you're you know you're going to do a, a sand dance or something. You might. But, but part of the problem with that is you've got to probably dress up and then you've got costumes and then you start yeah. thinking that's hard work. So character comedy. Character comedy is always harder from if if you're going to do it with costume. And I always say to people, maybe wear a hat initially so that it feels right. Yeah. But don't don't go in wearing ball gowns or anything because if if you are if you suddenly were hugely successful, you can't troll around the West End looking like that, going from gig to gig to gig. Yeah. You know that wouldn't work. I, th I think it was Logan on his course said uh, something like, "If you're gonna do prop comedy or you're gonna do a, um, a, a character. character thing, commit to it because like he had to carry around like a big case. He still does. Of, yeah, of he stuff. carries around three times as much stuff as he needs. Yeah. I mean, I've said to him a couple of times when he rocks up, "What earth have you got in there?" <laughs> And I suspect he's got a first aid kit and who knows what. Is Tom Tom's probably in there? I have no idea. Yeah. But yeah, he carries around way too much. It's just, you know, but, uh, but I mean, I know other, I mean, if you think about, I'm just trying to think, Steve, Steve Best has an awful lot of props in his set. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you've seen Steve. Actually, I must book him thinking about it. <laughs> um, see, that's someone I haven't booked in six years. Yeah. Oh, Steve Best. Mm. Um, part of the, you see the other thing, one of the reasons I've not been able to book him at Moonlighting at Amuse Me Soho on a Saturday, there's no stage. Right. And because he was a very vis visual comic, people couldn't, a lot couldn't see because you're actually standing at the same level as them. Um, so they couldn't actually see unless he was holding stuff above his head. Mm. So it's difficult. But the room I've got now, my Friday room, worked fine. The, the interesting thing is I, I had a set a while ago which involved an iPad facing the audience. And uh, a comedian, who I won't name, came up to me afterwards and said, it's a, it's a nice set, but I've been told, because I had a chat with someone from the comedy store, 
that they won't do pe- they won't book people that needs to have something facing out to the audience because of the way they're set up. You know what I mean? So yes. Because of the, it's in the route. So, and, yeah. he, and he said, "You're limiting yourself commercially with that." You well, you are. I think anything. And I went, "Yeah," but the thing is, is that because I now have, because I have an iPad, that that at that period of time, I had a month worth of gigs where I knew the promoters had booked hmm. me because I'm one someone who has a prop that yeah. no one else is using. Yeah. So yes, I'm not going to get that gig. But were they going to book me anyway because I'm not on their radar? No, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, it, so it was weird to me that he thought, I mean, it was nice that he thought they might be yeah. thinking of yeah. me. <laughs> well, that's right. But it was also weird to me that he, you know what I mean? He had he gone, thought of it gone as I'd the, thought of it. If you'd gone down of, to the gong, the, the gong show and done that, yeah, if, I wouldn't if Don had loved you, yeah. he still wouldn't have booked you. Because, no. But then he doesn't book character, he doesn't like, he's not a booker of character comedians. Doesn't okay. like character comedy. He's never had Harry Hill or Al Murray on the bill, okay. as far as I'm aware, mm. except on the Mondays when they do those charity nights when yeah, it's someone yeah. else booking it anyway. Yeah, yeah. So they've been in there, they've done the gig, but they've yeah. never never gig for Don. Yeah. So yeah, as far as I'm aware, How... so I have to say that with touching wood because yeah, you don't know. Everyone, I don't know. Everything. I don't know for sure, but my understanding is, what would be? I mean, so other than the competition, what would be the best way to get noticed by you or or to get a gig? Out well, I don't. I don't. I don't think. I don't think. I'm 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 the example that people listening to this need to be thinking about because I do have this strategy right. of finding people and it works. I promise you it works. So obviously I doesn't doesn't mean to say I don't overlook people. Clearly, I mean because they may have had a you know but this way at least they don't turn up and do ninety seconds and wish it had gone better. Right. They can, they can re record it until they're happy with it. Okay. Which I think is a bonus. So it means that everything we see should be reasonably good quality. Yes, that might make it very much harder to choose to choose the people that we're going to be putting through to the next level. But hey, yes. let's worry about that when it happens. <laughs> um, yes. So yeah, it's. Uh, I just think you, they need to be thinking more about the other 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 places. And I was speaking to someone to yesterday who I mentioned earlier, who I will give you their details later. And I think you should put her on here because she's. Uh, let's say quite opinionated okay uh, and has very clear views about what people need to do to make their mark right and she's young so she can kind of get away with saying it whereas I mean to me it's just this old biddy moaning about things <laughs> um uh, but you do need to remember that I've been around entertainment since I was 14 yeah so you know and I've seen I've seen people be- I've, I, I, pe- I knew people like Jimmy Page when they were still at school Mm. So I've seen people progress up and seen how they manage to do it. And a mm. lot, I mean, a lot of it's talent, mm. but also, you know, it's no good. Jimmy, if Jimmy Page had sat in his dad's shed yeah. and just played guitar and never gone out. Yeah. Whereas instead of which he went out and the thing he did was become a session musician. Yeah. He was a session musician long before he was in Yardbirds or anything like that. So he got a load of, load of So practice. everyone saw him. Everyone knew who he yeah. was and knew he was a good guy. And then when they were, when they were forming a band, the next time he was in a band... They went, this is the man for us. Yeah. So, you know, he was able to, or he, he made, was he able to him. pick and choose who he worked with as well. He made himself yeah. the name, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so uh, given given your knowledge of the of the industry and, and obviously wealth of information from the last decades, what would you... <laughs> he says politely. <laughs> Millennia. Well, you said maybe you'd book. So. Yeah. No, yeah. Um, what would you, I mean, what advice would you give to someone starting out now in terms of, say, say I hadn't done a gig yet. And you and I was going to you. I mean, other than gig as much as possible and all the all right. the cliched stuff. I well, I I I'm I can only go on what I see and what I hear. What I hear is that they're increasingly you can't have increasingly less, <laughs> but increasingly less open spot gigs for new comics. Right. 
I don't know whether that's true or not, but it's certainly what I'm hearing. And I hear that it's because the so the audiences are so small and so much so little money is spent behind the bar that the pubs aren't thinking it's worth it or the pubs are closing down or they're being changed into something else, karaoke bars or whatever. Right. So if there are less gigs, then you've got to make sure the gigs you do are beneficial there's no point going and doing something and being terrible mm. now there are a number of ways of doing that you can pile up with some mates that you might find, you might see a couple of people at an open spot gig before you start and you go okay can i come along and learn how learn the ropes from you can i affect, can you be my mentor which might be quite a nice way to do it and they'll introduce you to various people if they like you enough and whatever that might be one way um, but all I'm basically saying is that I think you need to hit the ground running. Right. Preferably. I think it's a lot easier if you appear to know what you're doing before you start. And getting that experience, is the, getting that off the ground is, is, isn't, isn't easy. And I don't, I don't know what the answer is to that. Because if I did, <laughs> I'd tell you and then everyone would do it. And it wouldn't be the answer anymore. And it wouldn't be the answer anymore. <laughs> and I suppose one of the things is setting up your own gig. But actually, running a gig is harder than people realise. Mm. I'm amazed that people... I mean, I've been working with someone recently who I've been producing for 20 years. Didn't have any idea about bookings coming through, how to deal with bookings. Didn't have any idea how to set out a room. And you go... And it turned out, of course, that everywhere he produced, everything was done for him. Right. All he was doing was just rocking up and just saying hello to people. Right. Basically, and you go, well, that's not running a gig. That's That's, you know paying money to have a room in Edinburgh yeah. that's, that's staffed yeah. and the whole team in place and all the technicians and everything. Mm. So which is nice if you can afford it. Which is nice. It. Well, it's yeah. nice if you can afford it. but Or you can have the halfway house where some of that's provided for you. Mm. Well, I mean... But I, I, guess, I guess what... I mean, I'm, I'm feeling quite uncomfortable because I don't want to promote it. But, um, but there are an awful lot of comedy courses out there. A huge right. number of comedy courses out there. And I think that as things stand... And I know a lot of established comics get really, really cross about it. Most of whom have been associated in one way or another with a comedy course. They've either spoken on a comedy course or they've done something or other. I think at the, the way things are at the moment, if you can possibly afford it, invest in one or more comedy course. I, uh, w one of the things people have asked me to ask you is what are your thoughts on, because Doug Stanhope, uh, put an article on Chortle saying that all comedy <laughs> courses are scams. Oh, bless him. Um, now, I mean, I've done your course. Yes. And I... And I know Doug Stanhope. Oh, do you? Yes. Okay. You can email him later then. Um, no, I mean, for, for me... He'll just shout at me by email, be in capital letters. <laughs> I like Doug. Um, so do I. <laughs> I. For me, I had stage fright before I did my gig, and it provided me a very um, safe place to get mm. used to being on stage, yeah. which I wouldn't have had otherwise. For, uh, as for my writing, I, I think one way of the things now, it does it take that, it does you know, take the fear away. Yes, because also it means that for the next few gigs, even after you finish the course and graduated, you probably are going to go, go with, with two two gigs either where some of the other people are on the bill with you, mm. or they'll come along and support you. Because yeah. on all comedy courses, not everyone does stuff that will do stand up. No, I think only our very first course that I did with Logan in two thousand and one two did 
almost everybody perform after the event. Right. But these were people who were so desperate to get on it. I was actually fighting them off. Right. They were throwing checks at me. Right. I was going, no, 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 no. Um, so yeah, I think on that course, that, that was that that was exceptional. I think really even from course two, there were people probably who only ever did two or three gigs or maybe never did another one. Yeah, on, on mine, but some people, two people, people do have for... carried on and two people do it for a hobby and yeah. the rest of them, uh, the 11, haven't, don't but do some, it. But sometimes people go into different areas. They might start writing. They yeah. might put through sitcoms or they might start running clubs or whatever. I think quite a lot of people stay involved in one way or another because it's such a nice, a nice world. Mm. Um, you know, I, it's not until I go into a corporate situation, which I do from time to time, I have to go to meetings. And I think, oh, now I know why I stopped having a day job. You know, because I can now choose who I book, what I do, where I do it, when I do it. I'm probably working longer hours than, well, probably not longer, but as long hours as I did <laughs> when I had a day job. But I'm choosing, I'm choosing to do it, or I'm obliged to do it in order that the rest of it happens. Yeah. You know, it's like me getting really irritated having to go on Facebook and <laughs> and and blast away saying, "Come to the gig, it's going to be." I don't know. But then, of course, there's no decent listings magazine. You know, we just so miss old time out. Yeah, we we talked about this before. Where it's, it's awful. I, 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 I despair. I mean, my, my like I said to you before, my belief is that social media is going to take a bigger role in it in, in how people discover stuff. When I when I asked um, on my Facebook and two friends offline how they find out things they're going to, most people say either social media, someone says they're doing a club, or they uh, know of that club through being a fan of it or whatever. Right. And as a result, they you know they they know that, or they they feel a few of my friends go to one or two clubs only right and it's because they feel comfortable in that room well, yes and when the room moves or if they move venue often they don't move with it because they're like oh i don't want to travel that far yeah. I, know, I know the route to get to that and i yeah. know which table i want to sit at and i know exactly do you know what i mean mm. there's a comfortable factor to yeah. it yeah and, definitely and i think um a lot of the time comedians don't think of it like that they think oh, i just need to book a room somewhere mm. and people will come yeah or whatever which is why i always try and use the same rooms for my previews and whatever mm. because i think you know what i know that, that they know where it is yes so once absolutely. they've come see me once it's easy well, it's, it's like me with, with the situation with amuse me soho because moonlighting we've lost the lease at moonlight well not we mm. the venue's been closed because the lease came up for renewal they decided to refurbish it in the refurbishment process uh during the refurbishment process which actually came to a halt um the leaseholder was outbid by a cocktail bar chain so mm. this all carried on and we knew we wouldn't be back there in september and then, of course, by the time we knew we weren't going to be going back in there at all, or we were told we might go back in there when the refurbishment was finished by this cocktail bar, but of course we had no idea what it was going to look like and whether it was going to be usable. But by the time we were at that point, it, they'd actually stopped doing any of the refurbishment because right. the 3am licence that Moonlighting had, which was a nightclub licence, yeah. the this cocktail bar chain assumed they were buying the licence. Yeah. Of course, Westminster won't play ball on that. They're going to be lucky if they get half 11, 12. Mm in there and it's a big space huge yeah. big room i mean it, it's licensed for 350 as a club night it's one of those few spaces in the west end that have no furniture in where you mm. can actually accept it's got an annoying central bar yeah. which could have easily it should have been moved years ago to the side because it's got a couple of pillars in it three pillars but you could you can cope with pillars in a room yeah but if other than that that could have been you know all big dancing space it used to be bands in there when i was a kid bands used to play in there mm. but there's how few i mean you go around as i've been looking for alternative venues mm. they've all got banquet seating right the way across the room a lot of it's movable but 
Where do you move it to? The great big heavy things. They, yeah. they have no storage space. It's a nightmare trying to find anywhere in the West End. And I don't want to move from Soho. No. Because we're new, known to be Soho. Yeah. I've got two or three, well, probably about six things, irons in the fire now. Because I know I'm not going to get December. Because right. we're in November. Yeah. So I'm now talking to people who are being a bit iffy about December. About January. And I've yeah. got some really interesting spaces, I think. Because now having gone to Sanctum on Fridays, the Sanctum Hotel, um, which is upmarket, rock and roll pictures of Jimi Hendrix, blah, blah, blah. Mm. Um, my sort of thought about going a bit more upmarket one way or another has been sort of, I don't know what, ratified is not, I don't know it's quite the right word, but yeah. Rethought. Re, well, no, no, well, that is, I've decided that's what I would like to do. Okay. I don't want to go anywhere grungy. I was offered, I was offered a room in Wardour Street um, that I went to probably 30 years ago and it's not had anything done to it since then. It's got worse. And it was damper and smellier and more awful than the worst fringe venue. I don't know. I've done and I was offered this room and, the, and I thought, I'm not going to say no to him. Off, you know, I thought that's a bit rude. And I've, I've seen him on the other side of the street a couple of times. And I've sort of just looked, looked in shop windows, <laughs> just trying to get past him. I just thought, oh, this will be awful. But no, couldn't. So, you know, I've turned spaces down. Yeah. I mean, there's loads of places we could have gone to. Yeah. But I just know. I mean, I want, I want it to be as good. It's never going to be the same as Moonlighting. No. But as good as Moonlighting. Okay. And I've got my eye on one nice space. I've got a meeting next. Well, I had a meeting on two days ago, which is excellent, which mm. is going to be interesting. If it comes up, it's going to be brilliant. Um, and I've got a space on an old, old music venue that used to be frequented by people like the Stones. Oh, nice. That is now set out as an open room with a stage. So. Cool. Fingers crossed on that. So, um, just a slight move back to the question. Oh, right, sorry. <laughs> no, 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 it's, it's absolutely fascinating because obviously it means it's, it's all going really well and obviously you're expanding. Well, or, we're trying, or we're just, we, we, we yeah. can't, that's, I, I suppose what I'm saying is I'm reinventing. Right. Because I'm thinking as things change and they are changing and I've been thinking I needed to go up market for some while. Right. But moonlighting, that wouldn't have worked in moonlighting, which was an old R&B club and whatever, and, you know, mm. Tivoli lighting and leopard skin carpets. Very retro, <laughs> let's just yeah. say. Anyone who's listening, who's listening this far, it's, it was retro with mirrors all around. And, you know, we were able to sell it as retro and that was fine. But, and certain people, you know, people came to it and they were happy and people brought their mums and dads to comedy there. Because yeah. that's the other thing. Comedy in my space has to be mum and dad friendly. Yeah. First date friendly. Um, sometimes I cringe. Something's said, and I think, oh, I'm not sure about that. But I will say to the comic, this is a, supposed to be a first date friendly gig. And I, they sort of look at me a bit old-fashioned. I say, well, if you went on a date, would yeah. you like to hear, overhear that at the next table? You know, someone at the next table saying something like that. You wouldn't. It would really spoil the evening. So, yeah. Mm. I think that's just quite interesting and a thing to say, maybe. Mm. Um, from, from my perspective, it's very interesting to hear that you're... Not just, I mean, because obviously you've already said... I mean, I book, I book people who are incredibly rude. Yeah. I mean, I book Mike Wilmot. I bit book um, Scott Capurro. Uh, I, book, I have, have booked Russell Brand, mm. who can be immensely rude. But mm. kind of those people, they kind of... Either the, either the punter's coming, like Stan, Stan, Doug Stanhope. They, they know when they're coming what they're going to get. Mm. Or they, the, the, the performer lulls them into a full sense of security, which is what Mike Wilmot does. Right. He spends 10 minutes becoming nice, cuddly Uncle Mike, mm. uh, lovely, chubby, and then he starts being excessively sexually rude about his <laughs> wife. Right. But we all go, oh, and then you go, oh, that's all right, it's Mike. Because yeah. he doesn't look threatening either. 
Okay. You know, you, there's no way that you think he's going to turn around and be awful in a minute, you know, awful yeah. to anyone in the audience. He's still Uncle Mike, but he's being really rude about this woman he's married to. And yeah. you think, well, but it still does it with a smile on his face. Right. It's that thing we were talking earlier about being friendly. Yeah. If he was suddenly looking as if he was going to get a knife out of his <laughs> pocket or wherever you if get he, a knife from and start waving it around, but, yeah. you know, it wouldn't be his persona at all. If, if, he, if it seemed like he meant the malice. Yes, yes. Yeah. It's not malice, it's just, he just is sexually a bit sexually explicit with her about her oh, okay so you know you go oh no you know you <laughs> you wouldn't say it about a girl but don't please say it about your wife yeah yeah and she's i met her she's lovely and she knows <laughs> she knows exactly she just rolls her eyes of course but she's heard it so many times just duck yeah. off, water yeah. off a duck's back yeah i mean no no because i was going to say for me it's quite interesting that you've already said you rule out stag parties and hen parties and and you thought about who else you'd like to come yeah. down i think a lot of um comedians Think, I mean, a lot of comedians think they know what their um, target audience would be, but then they, you know, if you ask them in depth, you go, oh, what kind of person would come and see you? They, they don't go into detail like, oh, it would, be, it would be first date friendly, or it would be family friendly, or it would be for the parents mm. of people. I'm not, I'm not talking, when I say family friendly, I don't mean children. I mean, no. mum, you know, a, a young couple bringing mum and dad, yeah. or elder brothers or sisters, or yeah, yeah. even granny or somebody maybe, depending, yeah. not... But I mean, I get comics bringing their mums and dads because they know it's a nice, vet, it's a nice gig. Yeah. So I mean, you know. I've been there. I know. I know. It's a lovely venue. I know. No, I'm. I'm, yeah. I'm not. I mean, it's a, a venue where they feel that their parents will feel comfortable. Yes. Not not the decor particularly, but the perform what's going to be going on on stage that they're going to be comfortable with. Yeah, it. and the chairs are very comfy as well, which is a which is a selling point in every venue because right. I've been in rooms where. Well, it's we been try we try and avoid stools yeah. as well. Really seriously, try and avoid stools. I mean, we've always had the overflow those little stacking ones, and people whinge on those. And we were just about to replace all of those, cut down our numbers of people we could fit in, yeah, and replace them. But then, of course. Yeah, then you got we, we, we got we got bumped. So well, we lo lost it. Oh, that's it yeah. But I say we're at the sanctum, and that's worked very well. It's a small room. Yeah. I'm going to almost certainly carry on with it on Fridays, short. Well, as as long as I can, and probably do previews in there in the summer. Um, I say it's rock and rolls, pictures of Jimi Hendrix and people on the wall, yeah. art, art, real artwork on the walls. Cool. It's really nice. Yeah. Uh, plush carpet, lift with a with the old shutter that goes across, you know, and yeah. so on and so forth. So it's really really nice. Okay. Um, I mean, it's a bit. Drinks and everything are a bit expensive, but then most places, most places yeah. in the West End are anyway. Yeah, and it's a hotel. They do deals, so. So, um, comedy courses are scams. What are your thoughts? Ah, on comedy. <laughs> uh, well, I think you have to choose. You have to go and find people and get recommendations, and you have to decide how much you want to pay and how much time you want to put into it. Yeah. Um, I personally think that well, we we have because I say I'm involved with. Um, I do the marketing and. Uh, um, marketing and what do I do? Admin, that's a word. Marketing and admin for the Stand Up and Deliver comedy courses, which actually are just the absolute and almost beginner's comedy course. Mm -hmm. And um, we've tried doing shortened courses. And we sometimes do what you call a compressed course, which doesn't mean it's any less, but it's like over over Easter. A short period. A short, yeah. Over a short period. So you, it's intense. There's a word. <laughs> Sorry, I keep saying there's a word. Yeah, intense. Short tagline. Uh, yes, that's right. There's a word. Um, <laughs> yes. Apollo, here I come. There's a word. Um, so, yes. Yeah, so, uh, generally speaking, shorter courses don't work. Mm. We, we, did, we were invited to do them at Soho Theatre for the writers group. And what happened with there, I think we did a couple of afternoons, and it was quite a small group. You know, Logan insisted it was reduced, because a lot of people call them Logan's courses, mm. which is interesting, why, uh, which why, is fine. Why is it Logan out of interest? Because uh... he and I set it up together. 
Oh, I approached him. Oh, well, yeah, but why did you pick him? Why was it? Because I needed somebody who I felt confident could teach comedy in it, or okay. lead a comedy course. And he'd done some already with a guy called Hugh Thomas, who used to compare downstairs at the King's Head. Right. And they'd worked together um, at Middlesex Uni. So mm. I knew Hugh, uh, uh, that I knew that uh, Logan had that experience. Yeah. If you had if you had done it, that would have been fine. But he was thinking he was retiring from work. Right. Um, and L Logan was kind of his protege. Mm. So you know, and Logan had, had done all sorts of. I mean, he used to run courses at Jackson's Lane. That was the place I was trying to think of in in Haringey. <laughs> he used to um, Pete Graham used to run courses at Jackson's Lane and. The comics used to come along and the, the most successful ones used to lead sessions and all the others used to be there, be the sort of, part, they, were, they were the or, the audience or whatever you want yeah. to call the students. And I know Logan led one that, that had Eddie Izzard actually in, in his group of people that he led to. Mm. So I think that's quite fun. That's quite cool. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, Logan's, you know, pretty well connected at that oh, sort yeah. of, you know, and he knows what he's doing. And, you know, I think people, a lot of people read his book as a Bible. It's very closely written, his book. Mm. And I think it's more of um, a reader that you read and go back to. And you go, I'm, I've got a block about whatever, or I need to find a new way to write something or, or whatever. And you go in there and you look at the various exercises and you go, that's the thing that will help me with this. Mm. But I think it helps if you've actually worked with Logan because you know how Logan's mind works. Mm. It's the same as if I read a book that's written by a comedian thinking particularly of someone like Mark Steele I read, read his I don't know it's his first book it's called something like Run a Bean and I had to read it in Mark Steele's voice it was <laughs> the only way I could actually get the sentences to sound right really really weird and I think that applies a bit with Logan if you know Logan if you've done a course with him um, you've probably spent 30 30 plus hours in his company you kind of get you kind of understand his mindset and therefore yeah. what you look at in the book makes a lot more sense than if you read it cold now I, I don't think I don't think a single course is a scam right well I think it's up to you to do, no let's get this right I think <laughs> a course could be a scam if you don't think you're getting value for money right that's that's what a scam is yeah it's 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 a ripoff if you don't think a course is going to be a ripoff and, that, and the way to be sure it isn't is to find someone who can recommend a course to you so you go down to open spot nights and you see someone good on stage, and when they come off stage, this is you as a, a, a random person, mm -hmm. punter, ordinary person, just interested, and you see someone come on stage and you think they're good, and you actually say to them, how did you learn to do comedy? Mm. And they would say, oh, I did this course or that course, or I didn't, but I had a friend, or I used to be an actor, or whatever. And they'll tell you, and then within two or three times of asking, you're going to start getting a, a bunch of people all agreeing or giving you differing advice. Yeah. But I would, I would say find someone who would recommend, it's the same as anything. You know, if you want to get insure your house, mm. the chances are you'll ask your mum or dad or your next door neighbour or somebody, and they'll say, "Oh, I I used to be with so and so, and I managed to get it half price with this lot, and then I got I got brilliant cover when I had a problem." Yeah. So you know. Yeah, I, I think for me anyway, and for most of the people I've spoken to who have um, gone that step to kind of find, I mean, because I rang Logan because his numbers on his website mm. and said, "If you want to talk about the course, give me a ring," and I did, and then I went down to your induction night, you mm. know that thing. And I remember he saying, um, it's a tenner if you're not on the course. And I thought to myself, well... A fiver. A fiver, sorry. Uh, sorry. Um, and I was like, oh, I could do that, but then it's going to cost me £5 more than the course. And I said, give me a minute. And I went out and got the money out. And I remember walking along, holding it, thinking, this is a lot of money I'm holding. Right <laughs> fiver. Yeah, no, 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 no. Oh, the no, whole no. lot? The whole lot, the whole lot. You just I like to pay in advance. Yeah, I went down and... Because you, you said you can either pay the whole lot now or you pay a fiver and then you pay the whole lot later. So I went and got... <laughs> 
so I went and got out, was it like two, three, 300 quid or something? Pro- probably. Yeah, something with, it's not a lot of money. Well, you probably paid the deposit. No, no, I paid the lot. Oh, you paid the whole lot in one said, go. Because you said if you pay the lot now, we can we can get you on the course and you won't lose your place. Ah, right, or like yes. That. And I was like, okay, fine. <laughs> you I'm a good salesman. Yeah, you were. Well, because I was standing there and I'd been talking to Logan in the bit just before I walked in for about 20 minutes and he was such a lovely and affable guy. And I'd spoken to, I think it's Mark Rastusha. Yeah. Because he was on, he was going to do a set because you had that there and that night. And it was... Um, Marcel Leconte mm. but I didn't know it was him because Alexis. he wasn't he wasn't dressed as Marcel he was just telling me oh I'm a comedian and we're we'll doing a spotlight I went cool and then later on I spoke to him and I was like you're the guy because <laughs> I just didn't recognise him and, he's uh, very different to his character he, isn't he well yeah yeah but, yeah but he doesn't I mean it doesn't actually change it doesn't it doesn't carry no. a lot of stuff around with him in fact he carries nothing at all no but, but he, he takes looks... his shoes off and he has his hair differently and that's more or less it yeah but yeah, but I didn't I didn't clock it for no. at least a couple of minutes so yeah so then I went and got it out and I was and I yeah I remember thinking to myself what as I was walking along gonna get and talk to you I was like what am I gonna get out of it what do I want out of it what do I and I remember thinking all I want to do is get over my stage fright mm. regardless if I don't do I want to do comedy but regardless if I don't do it or I don't do well I want to get over it and everyone I've spoken to since has had a similar thing where mm. they've gone into a course thinking what do I want to improve my writing do I want to be more improvisation mm. on stage do I want to just get used to being on stage mm. and then there are others who just go oh that'd be a laugh and most of those people say stuff like, oh, I didn't get much out of it. Because, and I feel like it's because you didn't go into it. In the right frame of mind. Well, with a target yes. for what you wanted from it. And the thing is, I spoke to about four other courses before I went on yours. Mm. And I know this is coming to a bit of an advert now, a bit of a weird... <laughs> well, people uh, have been listening for an hour and a half, so... Yeah, it's true. Um, well, the thing is, is that when I... W- w- I spoke to a couple of other courses... Ah, look at the time. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm getting rushed through the last questions. Um, I, I, went, I, I went through a couple of other courses and they all seemed like they wouldn't offer me that mm. they felt like they were either focusing on the writing element or they were mm. focusing on uh, a shorter period of time with someone who I didn't feel was as experienced maybe and and I just and I looked up Logan and he had this Wikipedia entry that said oh, I've done all these things and I just thought he seems better mm. well he's, weird, he's, he's now being asked to I mean we're actually struggling we've had we've having to rationalize the courses a bit because he's now being asked to go well Dubai, I think, was the was the most recent one that was mm. furthest away. But he's being asked to go and run courses abroad. Yeah. Um, so of course the problem is he doesn't like breaking a course up. No. So, I mean, sometimes it's fine because we just missed a week. We don't mind missing a week. Mm. But if it comes next to a bank holiday, so it misses two weekends or something, then we have to go. Oh my God! So what we're actually doing now, we've rationalised it to actually start at the same time the evening class will start. Mm. So we're starting September October for one for two courses, one evening one daytime in weekends and then doing the same after christmas and then doing the same after easter but mm. we're going to add in um and in what did i call it not an intensive whatever i called it can't remember what <laughs> i called it now um compacted course um but uh, one over easter and we're going to do a summer school yeah which so is do, yes yeah. so so that it allows him opportunities to go and do all the other various things that he's building up mm. which is fair enough you know because you know if comedy does change a lot you know, yeah. you never know his style of comedy might go, but I think the skills that he teaches people, I think they're going to be always useful regardless yeah. of what type of comedy it is. But you know, if it, if comedy became something completely different that he wasn't comfortable with, yes. you might not want to be around it. You see, definitely. Yeah, Same yeah. as I probably wouldn't want to be. At some point, mm. you go, I can't do this. Well, I mean, what do you what do you think of the the thing that people often say where you can't teach funny? You can't sort of. I don't think you can. Well, I don't think you can teach funny. I think you can help people understand how funny works. Right. And you can bring the funniest funniness out that's within them. Right. You know, it, I mean, I always use the example if I'm trying to explain it to people, is that you know when you're a child, aged up to whatever age it is, two, three, you're allowed to be completely bonkers. 
Mm-hmm. You run round, you shout, you scream, you do whatever, you tell, you tell tales, you make up stories, whatever it might be. You're an entertainment, you're lovely, mm-hmm. you're a joy. You might be a pain in the arse as well, but <laughs> you're all those things. You're full of energy, full of buzz. Yes. And then you suddenly go to reception class at school and there's 20, 30 of you and two teachers. Mm. Now, what they have to do is squash all of that right. in you in order to get 30 odd, odd of you to behave like sensible regulated reasonable human beings as quickly as possible <laughs> yes so what logan does is he manages to help you rediscover your inner bonkers right your inner i mean saying it's an inner child is not what i mean in the therapy sense it's the inner inner fun that's right. within you yeah and from that inner fun you it you lose start losing inhibitions which we've had drummed into us forever and a day to a level which then starts, you know, you start being funny, you start being silly. Yeah. And, and you've still got to obviously edit to a certain extent. You don't want to go around offending people, which you wouldn't do in the course. So no. that means you're not going to do it on stage. You know where the, where the social limits are. But it, it's freeing yourself up to, to become daft, really. Mm. And out of that funny, fun and daftness comes the, the funny, yeah. actually, eventually. Yeah, that and and I find uh, the more th- the, your voice in the in the terms of comedy and like the, people often talk about that as, as a kind of ethereal uh, mm. concept, but I find your voice is something that is just you. It will it will come, and it's usually an exaggeration of yourself. Yes, in, in some way yes. or in a number of ways. Yeah, your, I, your stage persona. I've I've found I've gone through a, a lot of different iterations mm. of, of attempts of making people laugh, mm. and I feel like the one I'm at at the moment feels most like me on there mm, yeah. and I and I often like I used to I used to get really like like especially when I was doing one-liners I used to get really worried I was going to forget one or mm. anything like that and now I just sit around or sometimes I double up and I just turn up and they go go straight on mm. and I don't have to worry or do mm. anything because I just a I know what I'm going to do and I know all the lines and everything mm. but b it's me mm. so I don't feel like I've got to get into a headset where I've got to just you know mm. get into a uh, oh, this is how I felt when I did it, and it was really funny. Mm. So I've got to be down, or I've got to be mm. low energy, I've got to be high energy, yeah. whatever. I just go on to me. I think I think you should fun. always know what you're going to what 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 your next set will be, if that makes sense. Yeah. Because you never know. Someone might see you walking down the street, mm. and they go into their club, and someone hasn't turned up, or is stuck on the northern line, or whatever it might be, mm. and they go, "Oh, we we we." so-and-so is not here and we, we, we need someone to fill and they go oh I just saw Simon Kane just outside mm. uh, I'll phone up and see what he's doing and you'll, you'll say yeah I can come in and we'll say yeah, straight on stage yeah that's fine I've got mm. 10 minutes yeah. and we need to know that in an emergency people can do that yeah and I, I or, or the running order changes yeah you know oh someone's stuck can you go on now yeah. so if you if your head's going oh i was planning to do it in 20 minutes that's no use yeah i know i know a number of comedians who who uh they sort of want to know exactly when they're going to be on they they want to be doing something like two seconds before the stage because they like to have a bit of water or they, all this kind of stuff and and the ritual it's, it's no good i well no i like, i get it i i have that for for certain things in my life i mm. like to have like a morning ritual and all that kind of stuff but for comedy, I don't really You can't. Have it you can't afford to. Yeah. You I, can't afford to. Because once you start doubling up... Yeah. I mean, I used, Milton Jones used to gig for me quite a lot. Someone else I can't book anymore, or not at the moment. Anyway, bless him. Uh, he's just too busy. But he might, he might be doing our Fridays. There's a lot of people who might be doing our Fridays just mm. to do, you know, pre-tour stuff and things. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, Milton was doing five gigs a night, and he would, say, be coming back from... He would tend, some weeks he would drive around, so maybe he would mm. drive to the Bearcat... 
um, and then somewhere else that didn't wasn't very well connected. Bearcat's right by a tube, so that's not a good example. Sorry, no, not Bearcat. <laughs> I was thinking about backyard somewhere over oh, in West in, in East London that wasn't well connected by tube. So he'd be coming round by car, and I'd phone him about ten minutes before he was due to be on stage, and he'd say, uh, "I've just dumped my car in Hoban. Couldn't get any nearer. I'm running." And he would run because he's, he plays football, he's fit. Mm-hmm. And he would run and I'd have a glass of water <laughs> and he'd come in and he'd just take his jacket off, ruffle his hair up and go on and mm. just do it. Yeah. Not out of breath. Yeah. Because even though he'd run best part of a mile. Yeah. So, I would be out of breath off. <laughs> well, so would I. But, you yeah. know, he saw it as a bit of fitness training. It was fine as far as he was concerned. Oh, yeah. I, I, now, I now as much as possible walk up escalators because I think that's just a little bit extra exercise when I don't have time to get to the gym in the mm. week, um, which I know doesn't work. Um, but you said you said that your comedy course has changed a lot because, like, when you first started out, obviously you were beating people off with a stick, and it was. Oh no, I don't think I don't think it's. I mean, that was it was just that there was uh, an un, untapped demand. Is that the word I'm looking for? I can't quite think what it would be. But there were the, more people wanting to do it than there were places. Were you one of the first courses then? Um, there were other, there had been other courses. There was one run by Michael Knighton that used to be a, a comedy club called the Cosmic in Chiswick. Right. Um, and he stopped. But Marcus Bergman and Mark Dolan and my daughter were on it. And uh, Frank Skinner and somebody or other else. And there was someone else on that as well who told me about it recently. Frank Skinner came to the showcase at the end. Mm. Freaked them all out. <laughs> but that's fine. Um, and there's the, the boss, a guy called Rob Hitchmo who was running a course down at the Aztec Comedy Club, which was down in Tulse Hill. But I, don't, I think you had to go all the way down there. And there was one up at the top in Islington, run by a guy whose name escapes me completely. Um, I think Rob Hitchmo is still involved with the one, the course that's run at the City Lit. I think he might still run that, or Chris Head may have taken it over. Okay. Um, we do get people doing that course and then coming to us afterwards right. because people say to them, what, what, what should I be doing now? And then they go to the... <laughs> go, 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 go to do Logan's <laughs> course. Well, the thing is, it's an evening class, so, you know, you get all sorts of people on it mm. uh, who, who are just doing it almost as a, an interest. So it's that point of going, yeah. well, how far can I take you? Yeah. You know, because you've got all these other people who also, I mean, we always, I always say to them that we, we will treat you all as if you're going to become comedians because that's what the course is. Yeah. But it, the case may well be that actually you, you're doing it for fun or a best man speech or, you know, to become a writer, comedy writer. But at the end of the day, you might be Rod Gilbert and you might be coming on because your girlfriend persuaded you to. <laughs> but actually you become the stand-up, whereas other people who wanted to be stand-ups have become... Labour MPs, mm. which they have. What would you? What advice would you give to someone who wants to be just a writer? Then, uh, if you are well, a comedy writer, yeah, well, I, I would yeah. say do stand up okay. first. I think you. I think it helps enormously if you understand the how comedy works. As in the industry side, or you mean as no, a as a, as a performer, how okay. actually, how the grammar kind of of okay. comedy. Um, and Holly Walsh would say that because she actually did our one of our writing courses. Um, and I tried to persuade her to do the stand-up course first, <laughs> but she actually did it, and then she did the stand-up course afterwards, and she said she wished she'd done it the other way around. Right. It would have been easier. She'd have understood better okay. what the expect, what, how and what. And despite she'd been to see stand-up comedy, yeah. it was still the experience of having done it. Okay, so, so. The, so the biggest thing for a writer who wants to do, who doesn't want to perform but wants to just write comedy would be to actually try stand-up I, anyway. I think you should try it. Okay. And if you don't want to do stand-up, maybe do sketch, write sketch stuff with people. Okay. You know, but the thing, the thing is that the other important thing is if you're going to become this com- comedy person, this, mm-hmm. this star that we were talking about, the iconic person, yeah. Jonathan Ross, whoever, mm. 
you need if you move away from doing live stuff you kind of need to keep or no sorry if you've never actually done live stuff and you become john you, you become jonathan ross let's say who's never really done live stuff you kind of need to understand how comedy works because when you do award ceremonies and things you need to know how to do that yes and and that's why you you can when you see a BAFTA award or whatever it is you can tell or a film award whichever it might be you can tell the ones that are used to doing performance in an improvised way of some kind it may be they've worked with Mike Lee and have made films with Mike Lee so which is all improvised and you know you write it on the hoof mm -hmm. um, because they do much better acceptance speeches yes. And indeed, they're the ones that are then asked to come in next time to do the, the actually, you know, the opening the envelope and calling out the three names and everything. Because mm -hmm. although they're saying exactly the same words, because it's written down there, they're doing it much better. Yeah. You know, Stephen Fry, never mm -hmm. done stand-up. No. But, you know, you trust him with any award ceremony. Yeah. Because he's actually, he's done sketches. Yeah. So, and he knows, and obviously if you're doing sketches, although it's scripted, it always goes wrong. Something will always go wrong every show you do. Mm. So you've got to find a way of working around that. So, so what about if someone wanted to get into TV? What if their end game? I mean, I know for a lot of people, their end game is to do something on TV, like maybe have a sitcom or maybe have a uh, work on work on a panel show or something. What would be? Well, no one's going to take them on a panel show unless they got, show any ability to do it. Well, I mean, there's a, there's a fair amount of um, people who are not comedians who get on panel shows now, like you know, they're celebrities for chefs or whatever, and they get on it. So I mean, yeah, is... but uh, mm. I think you'll find the majority of people who get onto those shows who aren't actually comics are actually pretty good at talking anyway okay they're the they're the ones who will be in the bar regaling a group of people around them they yeah. have that ability to chat they're, they're the people who like got like on, on tv and their own like show anyway mm. okay but, i mean if you think that of all the people let, let's look, look at chefs how many chefs could actually go on to graham norton two or three yeah most yeah um I mean, there's Ainsley Harriet, he could, but he's done stand-up. He did the comedy store. He yeah. used to be part of a double act. Yeah. So, you know, that you don't, also, you don't know what these people have done. They mm. may have done some stand-up. They probably yeah. haven't, but they might have. Yeah. They may, they may have done the fringe. They may have been there when they were at university. Mm. Were part of a, some sort of a student footlights thing. Mm. I mean, lots of people have done footlights. Yeah. You know, so you, that could easily be the case. Not necessarily with, with chefs, because chefs have tended to work their way up from the yeah. bottom, but... You know, as a lot, I, I think, you know, you, you, you shouldn't assume that you're going to be lucky to get onto anything like that without, because you need a, you need a, you know, you need to have stuff demonstrating, you need to have show reels showing you can do mm. it. So, you know, if you want to do that and you don't want to go through, go on a presenter's course. Yeah. There are, there are presenter's courses. Yeah. They'll cost more. <laughs> I promise you. Yes. Um, having done them. Yeah. Done them. Um, yes. It's great fun. You know, yeah. st standing outside number 10 doing something to camera. Yeah. It's yeah, great yeah. fun, but. You know, um, <laughs> you know, it's it's nice to have done it. So you know, if you actually don't want to do stand up, but then, it, it, you know, presenting is never going to be humorous. So that 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 may not put you onto an award show, and it may not put you onto a quiz show. Mm. So you might end up having to go into the polit into politics and that side of thing, and you right. know, maybe that's not what you want to do. You just have to think about what it is. Yeah. Uh, and maybe look at the route that other people have taken to get there. Yeah. Look at who is on the panel shows at the moment, the, the, the shows that you'd like to get on. Yeah. And go on to their Wikipedia page. See what they've done in the past mm. and plan yourself. I mean, a five-year plan. Why wouldn't anyone have a five-year plan in comedy? Mm. Because the problem, the other problem is that a lot of people just go, I'll just do it. Mm. But you've got to, you're going to get stale if you just do, do it, do it, do it. You really need to go, next year I'm going to do The Fringe. 
So I put that down. How am I going to get there? I'm going to do like you're doing. You're doing previews already. Mm. You have your five-year plan. It might be in your head, mm. but equally it might be somewhere else. It's just like a business would have a five-year plan. It's, it's on post-its in the bedroom, yeah. Well, but, yeah. It's, but, it could <laughs> but it's also in my head, yeah. Yes, but it could equally, well, it could be on post-its, but it could be on a whiteboard. It could be, you mm. could have it in your computer. And yeah. you review it every three months and say, oh, I haven't done this. I haven't done that. Oh, but this happened instead. So I can yeah. alter this bit of that five-year plan because I've actually done something that wasn't supposed to do till next year. Yeah. How does that alter my five-year plan? Yeah. And it, it may well. But I think, you, I think like you were saying earlier, you know, you need an objective, you need an outcome. Yeah. You know, um, there are some things in life that you can't have an outcome for, particularly yeah. like getting married or whatever, because it's not necessarily up to you. Yeah. <laughs> but if you're talking about comedy and you're going to adjust it, and I suppose a five-year plan... But for your life could be adjusted if you're not going to meet the right person then you might go oh well perhaps i'm not going to get married perhaps i'm going to go and do xyz instead mm. or you know, i might become a marriage counselor without anything about marriage yeah but because i've studied it so well or i'm going to set up a dating website you know yeah there's a different way of approaching something you've got some abilities and experiences that allow you to do something else yeah that's all that's all okay um, you said baby comics sometimes they haven't sorted out their website or their Wikipedia or they, you know, like what, what's the minimum when you search? So say someone recommends an act to you, like say you, you know, you've gone to another promoter and they've said, or I check kind out of recognise a name or something. Well, I think yeah. you know you need a one-page website. Doesn't right. need to be anything special. Needs okay. to say a little bit about you, maybe make with a picture, maybe a clip. Mm. Twenty-second clip will be fine, to be honest. If you know, uh, if you're very new, I wouldn't put five minutes. That's not very good. I put two minutes that is good, you know, <laughs> yes. just and, and, you know, keep changing it, keep updating it or put a number of them on. And then when you've got a good five minutes, put that on. Mm -hmm. um, but as I say, put it on there. You can make it a secret link thing to through. As far as I'm aware, you can link it through to a secret thing, which will just let you in. But you can only get through from that website, I think. Mm -hmm. um, you don't want the world and his wife looking you up on YouTube, I would suggest. Right. Because um, you don't want people nicking your gags, you know, because there is an element of that. You know, still people write, writers still, unfortunately, still nick material. Comics, I'm sure, still do. Well, I mean, what do you think? I mean, because for me, I tend to burn a lot of jokes. So, like, after doing them for a certain period of time, I don't enjoy them anymore. No, so you go... put them aside. Okay. Put them aside and then go back to them and rework them. Right. That's the way to update them. So you update them. Also, some of them will come back from a point of view of, um, you know, let's say it's a top something topical. You know, right. about a tsunami. I'm sorry. <laughs> but let's say it's about a tsunami. Yes. Then when there's a next tsunami, you just change the city. Yeah, I, I know. I, I've read um, Sally Holloway. uh, Holloway's book on topical comedian like that. And I, I've got I've got some friends that do that quite a lot. And then I've got some friends who, who tackle the actual subject of the diff each tsunami mm. as it happens. Well, yeah, but that means they're building up a catalogue of material about a tsunami. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Where, you know, in a way, it stops it stops them being lazy. It stops them, I mean, because also, you're, as you start, as, the more you write, the better you get at it. Yes. And that's why I say put stuff aside that you're bored with and then rework it. Yeah. Because when you get to the point of having to do our shows, you're going to have to trawl back through that because your first hour is going to be hard to write. Yeah. A good first hour. Once you've done Funny an hour. Right <laughs> I know. But that's why, you know, you need to trawl back through your old stuff and see if you can pull stuff in from there that you can rework and make it and enjoy it again. Okay. I get what you mean. Um, in terms of Edinburgh, because we're sort of talking about that a little bit, how often do you read the reviews of acts that you've not like watched or booked before? Like just to kind of find more people to put on when you come back to London. No, oh, I wouldn't book them that way. You don't read reviews? Uh, well, I might read reviews, but no, I would go and see them in Edinburgh. The problem for me and the problem for a lot of people is that the show, sorry, kicking you under the table. Okay. The show, the shows that 
are the ones that are on the fringe are actually an hour show. I'm not booking hour shows. No. I'm booking stand-up sets. 20 minutes. So what I try and do is go and see as many of the composite shows that I can. I have maybe one person in that I know is good, and I work on the basis that if they're in, I might phone them and say, how are, how are the other people? Are they, are they, <laughs> is it worth coming to see it? Because yeah. actually I don't have that enormous amount of time. So I tend to do that, and I try to go to quite a few late shows that have people on that I've not seen, right. or that I haven't seen for a while, who I quite like, and I might like to book them again, but I want to check. When you're in Edinburgh, what is your reasoning for going to see a show over another show? Well, we run our own competition up there. There's Amusement Laughter Awards, yeah, which is our shows. So we, I go and see all the shows that score well on the online viewings for that. Right. I go and see them all, if I possibly can. This year it was possible too. Sometimes they're all at the same time, which is an absolute nightmare. Right. You can't see 30 shows at the same time no. over three days. It just doesn't work. No. But this year I managed to do it. Um, and then I go and see things I've been recommended to possibly. Um, I go and see a few things that are nothing to do with comedy at all. I usually go and see a couple of theatre. Mm -hmm. Go and see, you know, go and a couple of music gigs, stuff like that. Walk around Edinburgh. Get might go on a walk or two. Show-wise, um, hmm... It's generally, generally, I don't know, people, I get invited to stuff, I go to stuff. But I say I spend quite a lot of time going to composite shows. Uh, I've only, I mean, this year I took advantage of Fringe Central, right. um, which is something I wasn't aware of really from the right. like, last couple of times I've gone. Well, I never get anywhere near it. Um, I, I don't think, I think well, no, I went in there about twice this year. No, but the, the thing is, A, they've got free Wi-Fi, which is great. And yes, B, well, I've got Wi-Fi on my flat. Okay. I wouldn't go anywhere that didn't. Okay. I. Um, so that was great, but also they have loads of um, like courses and things they're running there the whole time. Mm. It's part of the reason why I'm doing the Brighton Fringe this year because it was a great talk from the people at the Brighton Fringe who were so like lovely. But you have something you want to say about the Brighton Fringe? No, go on. No, no, go on. <laughs> I just think it's a bit of waste of time. Oh really? Why not? Why? Well, I think I mean it's a good opportunity. The problem is a lot of people go there and do previews. Yes. When their when their show isn't anywhere near ready. Right. And then it annoys people who go. That, that one of their problems is that. <laughs> they should say the, the people who run it should actually say you should put in brackets after the show title if it's a preview they, that's what they said to us to do oh good yeah they because, said that all work in progress they said to yeah. make sure that's in there somewhere so that people are aware of because what well from. they've obviously had complaints about yeah. it i didn't go last year i was down there the year before and i've been down two or three times for odd things but my the other thing that happens is that gigs get the shows get cancelled down there and it's, I, I, you know, go, you go down there for like two or three days and you end up only seeing one one show a day and you go, but I have seen some good, I mean, I've enjoyed it down there. I've seen some good people down there, but mm. equally I found Bob and Jim down there. I love Bob and Jim. Um, I, I just, so I go, yeah, I go and see things that I know I'm just going to enjoy at mm. the Fringe. I, I mean, I give, try and give myself a treat every day. Who, who are your favourite comedians? Well, just, just people, um, don't, don't have favourite comedians as such. But I just there are people that I just know will make me laugh, and if you're if you're if you've been working hard in Edinburgh because it is work for us, yeah, you know you just want to go you rather than go and sit through another show that may or may not be funny, you just cherry you cherry pick the one or two people that you just go I know I'm going to enjoy this, and it could be something that's really stupid, a bit like Bob and Jim, <laughs> or it could be it could be you could go and see Kraken or a really good comic or a comic that you think. I don't know, as I say, it always makes you laugh. Someone that you think, I know I'll enjoy that. So you could go and see, maybe go and see Tommy Tiernan, maybe if Tommy Tiernan's your type of comic, your preferred type of comic, who you know will do a really good gig. 
What's I mean? What's your preferred? Do you like observation? Oh, anything. Or I, don't, I don't have a particular. You don't have a preferred. No. Is there? A, is there a? I don't want to say a least because you probably don't want to answer what your least. I don't. Least, really, I don't like seeing smutty comics. I can't be or people who are, you know, anyone who is a bit. I don't know. Is that reflected inappropriate? In your... Really, is... I don't like inappropriateness, whatever that would be. Is that reflected in... because obviously that's subjective? It's about my booking policy, anyway. Well, no, because you said like Don Ward, like at the comedy store, he doesn't really do characters. Mm. So is that reflected in yours? You don't really like you don't. Yeah, do I don't book smutty comics unless I think they do it really, really well. Okay. So someone who's rude or objectionable just for any reason, or you know, I mean, I've been into shows at eleven o'clock at night where the audience are pissed, and then the the performer just goes into that mode as well, and I think. You know, I don't want to... Why would I do this? I could just be in a pub listening to lots of drunk people talking to drunk <laughs> people. This is awful. Yeah. You know, but they've had to do it because, but they shouldn't have had an 11 o'clock slot. You know, you just think... But then people there have gone to see them because they know they're going to be like that. And I just, oh, please, let me out of here. Mm. So <laughs> I don't often walk out of shows. No. Well, I mean, uh, one, one question uh, I got asked to ask you was um, if you had to pick to go and see one or the other, who would it be out of Jack White or Jimmy Carr? Jack. Okay. Do you want to say why, or do you want to just leave it at that? Mm, <laughs> no, not really. Okay, we'll leave it. Um, I just, I don't know. Um, no, I'd go and see Jack for choice. I think because I, I kind of knew him longer and I knew him better. Okay. So I've got more of a personal attachment to Jack than I have to Jimmy. Makes sense. I haven't spoken to Jack in. Two or three years, probably. Yeah. Um, but he. Yeah. But he's still. I, yes. I'm just trying to think. Yeah. Because he. I mean, he gigged for me an awful lot, which I didn't have a gig that Jimmy could do as he moved up. If that makes sense. Yeah. I wasn't. I wasn't. As he he got he kind of overtook the gig that I was running. He sort of moved on up. Um, whereas Jack stayed on the circuit for a lot longer mm. uh, at at a, at a really good high level, really. Basically, because he was having to get those years in, which mm. Jimmy had already done. Jimmy, Jimmy had done the, 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 the apprenticeship before he got to that level. And then when he got to that level, he moved up quick, quite quickly. Yeah. Whereas Jack, you know, had to do his apprenticeship while he was still doing things and feeling his way and whatever and doing strange things for Channel 4 that never got broadcast and things. Yeah. It's, it, it, it's a sitcom, which was something to do with goat, but was it called something that... The goat herd, something in the goat herd, and he and another comic that he was pally at the time, at some point got naked in this. I've got this at home. It's very odd. And he was much skinnier than he is now. And he just thought, why? What? Which bit? Of... Anyway, it was fine. It was. It was actually quite funny. But I suspect I'm. I mean, I maybe I put that on eBay at one point, <laughs> thinking was, about it. I was going to say, or a private Vimeo clip. Mm, you know? no, no. <laughs> um, what are your What are your views? I mean, this is slightly a tangent, but what are your views on discounts on comedy nights like Groupon or, or you know, the sort of massive discount sites that you can buy tickets on? Like, like Groupon. Like Groupon. Yeah. I think I don't think it does a club or the performers any favour if the public are aware it's discounted, that are there are discounted tickets. I think the t people who pay full price get very cross. Okay. Um, and I think the people who get the discounts don't necessarily value it very much right. or as much, but I think making it public, and I can right. think of a company now that do discounted tickets where it's actually, they're actually, they actually name a venue on their website as a big a major comedy venue where it says it and i think that i don't know that that venue knows that and if they did i can't believe that they're happy to have that on there 
unless right. they've done a deal where they get a better, higher cut out of it. Right. I would rather have people who like comedy coming in for free. Right. Off, off of a mailing list or something, to be honest, than have, you know, who I know are comedy fans. Yeah. Than, than, than just put it out on Groupon mm. or lastminute.com. Mm. I think put it, putting yourself out there so people can just Google around for a discounted something, I think is just like dire. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's, it's, I think that's one of the problems that's happened with comedy because, you know, to some extent, you, a venue wants a certain number of people in to buy drinks. Yeah. Because that's how they, they're paying for it. Mm. Um, but you're cutting, as the promoter, you're cutting back all the time on the, pro, on the profitability of the room and the status. Yeah. And, and, and it affects how people feel. You know, if, you, if you're paying £5 to go in and see, let's say, Jack Whitehall and uh, Milton Jones and Sarah Millican and Mark Dolan, and you're paying a fiver, what does that mean about the reputation of those people? What do the agents think about that? Mm. Because it does nothing for the reputation. Those people are going to be making DVDs and doing tours. It's just mm. dreadful, which yeah. is why those people won't, won't, one of the reasons why those people don't do the circuit. Right. Because they, well, partly also because they've got their own audience that they can get down, which means they don't have to discount it no. for those people. Well, exactly. Yeah. But, you know, uh, uh, yes, there's that as well. Yeah. But they may be coming in on the back of wanting to do new material or whatever. I'm just saying. Mm. I don't think, I, I think, you know, if you are at a certain level, you shouldn't be gigging at venues where they are clearly publicly discounting tickets. Right. And I think it's an insult to the people who pay full price right. as well. I think that's really bad form. Okay. Really, really bad form. And you and you've never do you ever? Do oh, I discount sometimes. Okay, but very discreetly. Yeah, you don't do Groupons or anything. Oh like no, that. I wouldn't dream of it. Okay. Or lastminute.com. Okay. I mean, it's just if I'm in that situation where I'm thinking, how can I do this? And we do we do mail outs to people who because uh, I've got obviously got the database. Yeah. So people who've done a comedy course recently, rather than actually give them tickets now automatically, what we will do is offer them a discounted ticket price. Yeah. You know, so they get in for five or instead of 15 quid. Friends of the Moose kind of thing. Friends of the Moose type thing, yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, that means we get 10 people in who are keen or 12 people or 20 people mm. maybe. But I'm amazed how few people on the course actually actually want to come and see comedy. I don't understand. Interesting. Isn't it? Yeah. How, what actually, because you actually had a discount card at one point. What we did, we still then? do that. Oh, we, we still, still do, have it? Still do a discount card, yeah. Mem oh, okay. Members card, yeah. Oh, okay. It's cool. members. It's discount and loyalty card. Yeah. So if you wanted to go on a regular basis type Yes, thing. you get it signed on the back and then every, I think it's, we actually we actually said it was two pounds. We need to get some more printed up. So I'm thinking about if you come four times, you get a free show. Okay. Rather than actually whatever. What, what do you, th I mean, like in, in terms of the changes in the industry since you've sort of been going, what do you, I mean, what do you think of the free nights and what do you make of, like, so, so the pro. Well, they never, the, they never the, were free nights. You always paid for comedy. Okay. You always paid. Right. Uh, or it was a plate collection. There was a place up in North London that used to do a plate collection. Right. Uh, a minimum, minimum, they used to say minimum, this is going, this is interesting because this is 1983. <laughs> right. A minimum donation of at least, he always used to do minimum and of at least two pounds. Okay. That makes sense because any, anything less than it, you can get pennies in, aren't you? And you... Well, yeah. But yeah. I mean, I'm just saying it was two pounds. Right. In, how, I mean, in 1982... I, in 1983, I was earning six and a half thousand a year. Right. So two pound was quite a lot of money. Yeah. But you know we had good comics. Hmm. Um. You know Paul Merton would rock up. Yeah. Because because he was starting out. Yeah. And so, Rory Bremner. Uh. Do you, Do you think the um? But they weren't necessarily very good then. 
No, no, well, I mean, this is 20, 20 years again. But I mean, what do you, but do you think the, because the, there are a lot of pro nights that are three or buckets spent at the end now. Do you think they're having an impact on the, the paid, like the, the solid ticket selling nights or? Uh, I guess so. I don't know. I've no idea. I mean, I think the problem with, uh, with, uh, with where, where people contribute at the end, it depends how, how well the show's gone, I guess. Mm. It depends how good the compare is because obviously, well, whoever it is is going to be asking for the donations. How good the overall experience is. Yeah. And, you know, you have no control how the pub runs, no control over the beer prices or anything like that. Mm. <coughs> and I know there are some, some, and we all know The Angel, which is run by um, Barry. Barry Ferns. Um, I think Barry's going to have to stop that soon, and I've told him that, because the problem right. is that he's tied up there and he's not getting known enough, and I think he's shooting himself in the foot. Um, but the problem is whoever takes it over... The chances mm. it will fail within six months. Yeah, and I've seen that happen at numerous clubs where they find someone that they think that could do it, who is excited about doing it, mm -hmm. um, and they, and it just kills it, stone yeah. dead. It's, it's it's tied to him really. It is like well, it. And lots of places are. It's the person who runs it. Once they're not there anymore, it just changes. The atmosphere changes. The way it's run changes. Even if everything there appears to be the same, it isn't anymore. In, in terms of club survival, why, why do you think... Because, I mean, loads of clubs have come and gone since mm. the Amuse Move started. Mm. Why do you think yours has stayed? Well, because I have no intention of being a performer. Okay. Um, I have no long-term objective of being anything more than what we are, producers um, and promoters. No, I don't want to do anything else, so I've got the time to put into it. So you've got one objective. So. I've got one objective. The, the objective is to carry on doing it and, fi and, and finding and enjoying new young comics. Right. New stroke young, not new or and new, I mean whichever. People. Yes, yeah, new, new, new performers. Young people who have started as in yes. young in terms I, of their I mean, time I, on I do think that there is a bit of a problem at the, at the moment um, that there are an awful lot of older people coming into comedy. Right. Um, the problem for them, it's the same as if you're a, a, a mature, mature person going in saying as a teacher or a probation officer. You're expected to be able to do it straight away really well. And if you can right. blag it, that's fine. Which is what I did when I taught, because I started, I started as a, I was already a parent, and it was mm. a thing to combine with children. So, and people assumed I knew what I was doing. Fortunately, I was teaching business in IT, so, and I knew, I knew how that worked. What I didn't know was how schools worked now, mm. and I didn't know how the curriculum was set up, and I didn't know how the examination boards worked and everything, but I was able to find that out. Um, and I think part of the problem with older people going in is that that the that assumption is when they walk on stage that they're going to be funny because they're older so they should know what they're doing if they're not funny then the audience goes oh so it's it's you know it's a, uh, if anything when you're younger you get a bit of leeway you do get oh yes absolutely right. I mean I can't tell I mean I, I've I don't know quite how to phrase this I saw a comic recently well, I've seen a number of comics recently. No, <laughs> sorry, no, cut out the recently. I've seen a number of comics who hit a certain age, let's say 40, who mm. are still doing teenage stuff. Right. That's inappropriate. Right. You know, about chatting girls up and things, and you go, you can't do that. Or it doesn't feel right for that. It doesn't look right. It's them. wrong. It, yeah. Yes, it, it's, it's completely inappropriate that they should be talking like that. And yeah. they've not, they, they, you need to grow up with your material. Yeah. I'm that's afraid. That's why dropping stuff or reworking it is yes. really important. Well, also uh, reworking stuff means you've got not just a different perspective, but you're actually better. Yeah. 
you know. Yeah, I, I found that sometimes I, I I have a joke and then six months later I rewrite it mm. and I think could never have written that six months ago. No, yeah, no. yeah. And you're much better at linking things and, and doing callback stuff and doing the rule of three or whatever it might be. You know, the whole the whole you guess get better. Well, you know, and you go back to it because I sometimes see comics on stage and say to them afterwards, if I can remember, <laughs> you, you know, you could do a bit about that after that, and they go, oh yes, so I could. Yeah. Whether they do or not, I don't know. But, you know, you sort of think, oh, that would really, that would follow on nicely. Yeah. That would, a topper, that would, a yeah. really good topper. That would kick it a little bit at the end kind of thing. And what's interesting, you see someone in America, well, America's a good example, television in America, where they don't do their toppers because their toppers are too controversial. And John right. Oliver, who, you know, obviously I knew when he was over here, who's now John Stewart over in the States, um, and still does the podcast with... Um, Andy Zaltzman, by the way, as far as oh, I'm aware, okay. still does them. Yeah. Um, when you see him, I can actually see that he's going, I'd love to do the topper that's in my head, but I <laughs> did because I'm on national television in the States. Yeah. Because it would be something acerbic and really cutting because it's a political, he's a political comedian. Right. But quite gentle because yeah. that's what he has to be. But I know what that gag would be. Yeah. Or I know, I don't necessarily know what it would be, but I know he's got it. And you can see it in his face that yeah. he'd just love to go bang. So, yeah. What what advice would you give to someone who wanted to start their own, like running their own club? Say that. It's, uh, I would I would say help someone else run a club first. Okay. And find out if it suits you. Also, it takes a lot more time up than people ever imagine. Okay. And uh, you have to decide why you want to do it. Right. I mean, people like Al Murray set their own club up because no one would book them. Right. Because um, Al used to do noises. He used to do car boots opening and things and right. machine guns and stuff. And he didn't invent the pub landlord. He never done. He never done what we called stand up until he invented the pub landlord, right? Which was invented uh, when Harry Hill needed some way of getting on stage up in Edinburgh at the Fringe. Right. I think a year that he was nominated the first time for an award, and Al said, "Oh, uh, uh, and Al was there with him to do the tech, right, at the beginning of the show. You know, like you 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 go in for three hours if you're yeah. in a proper venue." And you have three hours to actually knock your, you know, to make sure the show will work in that room. Mm. And he was going, I don't know how to get on. And Al was there and said, he said, oh, I'll introduce you. And he just did, the pub landlord. Right. And that's how it started. Yeah. Up okay. until then, he'd just been someone at Avalon who wasn't getting any gigs. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Fair enough. I'm, sure, I'm but sure, he, he ran... sure a lot of acts have gone through that, though. Where they, well, you yeah. Know, like, like with Jack D, the famous thing where he said that he just went on pissed off one day. Yeah. And he went, oh, I've got a character now. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, you, you said you, pre I mean, you still obviously produce stuff. Now you've got a Muse Moose production. We've got a production line, yeah. Production yeah. into it, yeah. I mean, what, what kind of experience is, I mean, what's your best and worst experience with that? And I mean, and how do you pick what you're going to produce? Like, do you, do you scout for well, that? Well, it's, in, it's in, yeah. Oh, yes, definitely. And I would work with people that I know and like. Because chances are you're going to fall out at some point, so it needs to be yeah. someone who's not going to hold it against you and be, you know, and same same the way the other way around. You know that that you're not going to get thoroughly brassed off with them and can't work with them anymore. Do, do you scout them yourself, or do you oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. hear out other people? Um, and okay. I, this year, this year, this coming year in Edinburgh, I, I'm uh, I know a play, I know of a play that is really good, which is a huge cast, a modern play. Excuse me, huge play that's huge cast that is impossible i've seen it on on stage but it's impossible it would be impossible commercially and i've just i'm gonna be well i keep saying i'm going to do it and i haven't done it yet talk to the the uh, playwright and see if he's happy to have it in edinburgh i spoke to him a few years ago about a play he'd written and he said if it was a play at that time he wanted it to be a particular play that then went on at the national but it mm. wasn't it wasn't it didn't it wasn't the sort of play i wanted to be involved with but this other play i could and it would be great because the cast is probably 20 
Right. And, and a lot of comics would love to be in it. So that's that's one of the things I'm thinking about branching out a bit more. And I could then produce and direct it. Cool. Or co-direct it. He might want to get involved in directing. That would be quite fun because he said a while ago that he misses Edinburgh. hasn't been up to Edinburgh for quite a long time. So that would be quite quite neat. So, so would, do you ever take it when people approach you? I mean, if someone said, I've got a show, could you come see it? And would you, you know? Well, pro- pro- producing, producing in Edinburgh is rather different to producing in the West End. Producing in Edinburgh is, is actually doing everything that the performer would do if they did it themselves other than just being on stage so it's involving right. all the pr and the flyering and managing all that of it and it's really tiresome and it's boring and it doesn't really pay mm. and i don't enjoy it so i don't generally <laughs> do it but it, obviously my own shows we produce our own shows mm-hmm. um and yes i would produce i co-produced something for which was co-production with b sky b as it was at the time which was filmed and it made a documentary and we did the show as well and that was up at which room were we in we were in Queen Dome, not Queen Dome. Yeah, it might have been Queen Dome. Yeah, it probably was Queen Dome at the, at the Pleasance. Okay. Um, yeah. So yeah, people, people. Can, yeah, but I, I, no, I'm, I'm more interested now in a way in directing because I've done some directing. So that's one of the things that I'm thinking I might do a bit more of. Right. But the problem with that is, of course, I have to be careful because it can't be a show that would be eligible to be in our competition. Right. I mean, um, one question that I, I've been uh, waiting to ask you is. Um, uh, you, you divide a lot of comedians because uh, some of them say that <laughs> some of them well, some of them say that you you um, well, either don't have a sense of humour or that you don't, you don't go and see comedy because they don't see you around a lot. It might be they're just not going to the clubs you go no. to or whatever. But um, but I don't want to be seeing the same people all the time, do I? Well, no, but some, no, but I mean, if if the, the question is um, your place in in the industry, do you see yourself as as a promoter, predominantly, or, or or a producer, or a director, or a, what, what's your? Oh, or no, is I'm, basi- I'm basically a promoter that produces. Okay. But the problem with going out to a comedy night to see one particular person is there's two ways of doing it, which I know some people do, is that they find out their stage time and they turn up at that stage time, they go in and then they leave. Right which means they don't see anyone else on the bill, which annoys everyone else on the bill. Right. Um, or I can go down and have to sit through an awful lot of stuff I don't want to see because I've seen it before or whatever. Right. And the other pro- one of the benefits of arriving, seeing something and going is you don't have to have a conversation with people. Or not there and then, at least. Well, or, or yeah, or whatever, yeah. yeah. Um, so that's sometimes what I do. And what I'm probably going to be doing more and more is just rocking up for a particular person that I want to see. Does it help if so? For example, I mean, I presume with certain clubs, you're you're chummy enough that they'll let you in for free. You'll let them in. For oh, free. Jen, we all but, we all we all yes. I mean, if you're just turning up as a producer, you just yes yes you just on the okay. guest list. So I, I was going to ask if like you, it would work out better for say you were coming to see me if I turned around to the promoter and said, "Can I pay for a ticket?" In oh no, no, you just asked me to be on the guest list. Okay, fine. No, any 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 club is going to be. They'll know who you are. That, well, it's you would say it's so and so, so and so. You wouldn't necessarily say it's Hills. You just go amuse me as comedy. Want to come and see me, or Avalon want to come and see me, or whoever it might be. Right. Or I've got an. Is it is it all right if I have an industry guest? Can you, can they go on the guest list? Yeah. That's all you need to say. Industry guest, okay. and then say who it is. Okay. And they might go, no, I don't want her in here, or I don't want <laughs> Avalon in here, or I don't want whoever. Right. I mean, you know, that's that's obviously up to the promoter to say that. Yep. Um, but, but I, I always, I would never say no because I think it's unfair. You know, it's part. Mm. I see it's part of the deal. Yeah. 
you all kind of trade off. And, and, and yeah. yeah, it's all a trade off. And the other side, yes, I mean, it's, you know. Also, you might get to meet an industry person that you've not met before who just comes down because of Well, the, yeah, the, I mean, I, that's how often I meet because the industry change all the time. I mean, mm. it's unbelievable. I'm, I'm now saying to almost everybody in the industry, give me your personal email address because they're yeah. all on the bloody move all the time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I spoke to somebody at BBC, a couple of people who are at the BBC, and they're now saying after four years it gets reviewed, <laughs> even if they're really good people, and they might just get moved on. Mm. I know two good people have just been moved on from the BBC in the last four months. One's going in January, one went a few months ago. Just really good people. Wow. So, you know, if I have, and I've said to them, make sure I've got your yeah, personal, email. personal email address. And number, probably. Well, yes, yeah, so I've usually got their phone number. Yeah. Most of these people have got their phone number. Uh, what, in terms of a, an act who, say, is like on the move up, but not sort of in that middle of um, doing open spots, but not pro to, mm. to the stage of pay, what can they do to make their profile like elevated so you could maybe find them yourself or like is it worth having a comedy cv you know comedy cv.co.uk or is it well they've worth... got to be on there of course they've got to be on there they've got to have a wikipedia page they've got to have a, a website with clips on it they've got to have photographs without that no one's going to take them seriously oh, okay I don't, I don't have a comedy CV. I, did, I didn't think anyone actually looked at it. Oh, yes. We go, we go and pull quotes off it. And oh, what's okay. really annoying I, is when they're not up to date. If you want a quote about somebody, where do you go? I'd go to their website. Well, okay. But maybe, maybe the... Well, I don't know. Maybe it's too, they're too new a person or they haven't got a website. Okay. But I, invariably, I will go on to... Well, not always. Go on to comedy CV. Quite often go on to comedy okay. CV, and it needs to be kept. They all need to be kept up to date. Wikipedia needs to be kept up to date. Website, everything. What, what level of interest do you, or what level of stock do you put in people's social media? Like, so I mean, I know you said that you said you're, you're very skeptical of how much it works and stuff. Mm. But say, for example, if someone had a hundred thousand likes on Facebook or something, are you and they applied to go to your club? Would that be an influential factor, or would that just would you not? Well, care? I mean, you, you know, Tom Deakin and Chris Turner have had a million hits on YouTube. They have, yes. Yes. So, and I've booked them both, but I wouldn't necessarily book them otherwise. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily book them on that basis. Right. So, so loads of other people had lots of hits. Okay. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I mean, the case in point is, and I can't remember the guy's name. Yes, I can. Bo Burnham, of course. Yes. Was the big first big comedian, really, that I think broke through on the back of YouTube. Yes. Really. But he'd been out on the road since he was 16, because yeah. in the States you can drive. So at the age of 16, he was out going, get, performing in clubs and places where he wouldn't have been allowed, wasn't really allowed in, because he wasn't 21 and therefore <laughs> wasn't any, supposed to be anywhere near alcohol. Yeah. But, you know, it's fine. But he, was tra he used to travel all over the States, yeah. 16. Okay. Kid. Lovely. Right. Really nice bloke, yes. Yeah, and I've met him, he's lovely. Mm, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think you, you just need to find what works for you. And it may well be that your, your target group are social media. Yeah. And I think you need to do that anyway, because that's what the clubs will expect you to do. Mm. Um, and I, I say, I don't know how effective it is. I don't know how effective anything is. I mean, you can always go and measure effectiveness, but what that really means in real terms, the only way that, you know, you can find out. Uh, one of the things that I think might start happening, which is going to be interesting, is I don't know if you go how many bands. See, I go and see bands quite a lot. Mm. So when I'm not out seeing comedy, I might be seeing a band. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yes, yeah, so when you go and see bands, quite often, you know, particularly early in the week, they'll ask you who it is you've come to see. Right. And I may have gone completely spontaneously because the write-ups of a couple of them looked interesting. Yeah. And I'll say, I'll come and tell you later. So I wait until I've seen all the bands and I'll go back and say, that's one and that one. 
Yeah. And that's what would be interesting is if people start getting paid by the num- by how many people like them. Yeah, I mean, on the door, effectively. Yeah, I mean, I've got a friend of mine who's in a band, and every time I go, I go and see them, they ask on the door, "Who have you come to see?" Mm. And you always give them the yeah, and they and they get a cut it doesn't, of it doesn't the door. Give you a, it doesn't give you a, doesn't give you free entry. But it no, means, no, no, no. It means that they then know that which ones are the most popular. Yeah. And that's what they want. They want the most popular bands, mm. and they therefore pay them more as well. But they're going to be more inclined. Someone who no one goes to see. Yeah. I mean, I might be the one that upsets the apple cart because I might be the one who goes, I really like so-and-so, but no one else went to see them. Mm. But so I, they may, may only get one vote Yeah. But because they've got no friends. <laughs> but yeah. I thought they were brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. I mean, I think, no, I think that's the exception that proves the rule, I think, generally speaking. And yeah, I think pay, paying, paying people on the basis of the number of people who've come in to see them is not a bad way no. to look at it. Mm. But, it's, yeah. a, it's the free market system in a way. It, it is, yeah. yeah so. Okay. Yeah, so that, that, would be quite, that would be quite an interesting... Um, yeah, could do that. The comics wouldn't like it, of course. They'd no, hate no. it. No, because they 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 see it as <laughs> they a, think po- it's, a populist thing. Where it's they like see a, it as a level, yeah, they see it as a level playing field. The fact that it's actually clearly not mm. is beside the point. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That was Hills Jager um, of the Amused Moose. She was really generous with her time. She was meant to be here for an hour, and we ended up talking for the better part of three hours. Uh, I suppose you know that, considering this podcast is nearly three hours long with edits. Um, yeah, I'd just like to thank her for taking part. I'd like to thank you for listening. Um, the next one will be out in just under a month's time. Where we'll have Alex Petty from Laughing Horse on. I'm quite excited about that. Uh, he's got a lot to say about things like the Free Festival and his clubs and uh, also management of acts. So looking forward to that. Everything that me and Hill spoke about in this podcast can be found on the Ask the Industry Tumblr which is asktheindustrypodcast.tumblr.com. I'm just sorting out a domain name so it's got an actual website. Probably have that up in the next week or so. So, yeah, if you want to find the links there to the different books, courses, comedians, club nights, everything she spoke about, I've gone through it with a pretty fine tooth comb and found as many links to things as I possibly can. Also, if you'd like to subscribe to the podcast, you can do that through iTunes or uh, there should be a load of links on the Tumblr page. Uh, it help really help out if you guys can do that um, and if you enjoyed it if you want to leave it a rating on iTunes that'd be amazing or if you could just pass it on to a friend um, or an enemy if you didn't like it that'd be great thank you even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 